元気ですか私たちがこれまでプレイしてきたこの素晴らしいゲームについて皆さんとお話しできることを本当に楽しみにしています。Today, we are talking about Ghost of Tsushima.Hope you enjoyed that Japanese intro because not a single one of you are going to understand it. But, Before I get into the quick introductions with the guys, if you enjoy this podcast and want to get it a few weeks early, head on over to patreon.com slash swordchomp, where you can get early access to this podcast and many more benefits that we provide, such as a secret VIP page, shoutouts on our main podcast, access to a secret Discord, and much, much more. Today, I am joined. By the crew here at Sorchomp. First up, we have the hilarious thief that always seems to get himself into just a bit of too much trouble, Ryutaro Murata. Happy to be here. Happy to be here to bring my thieving skills to this glorious podcast. That's right. That's right. You are the best thief here at Sorchomp, Ryutaro. All right. Not sure if、so、that's、next. a compliment. Oh, it's definitely a compliment. You, you have stolen joy, my heart. Sure. That's really special. Let that linger for a second. Let that linger for a second. Next, we have the serious Ronin who always appreciates a good sake, Junto Fujiwara. Hey, everybody. He's,、uh, he's a little bit soft spoken as he's currently sipping on his nice rice sake at the moment. So,、mm. please forgive him.、Mm. Um, but he will be more boisterous later on as he imbibes further. We have the outspoken townsperson who is called to arms, Masashi Besho. Masashi Besho.、Uh, that's me.、Uh, <laughs> happy to be here. Say it one more time、uh, and I'll out- believe you. Outspoken. That's definitely me. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here, Shay. I know、uh, you convinced me to stick with it, and we could have hopefully a fun conversation. So,、uh, yeah, I plowed through all, almost all three acts of this game in a week. So,、uh, I'm proud of you, buddy. I'm proud of you. I'm really excited to talk about this game. And、uh, before we get into it, I am the bumbling, helpless damsel in distress who needs to be rescued, Shinosuke Ryuzoji. That last name I had to practice. So, before we get into it, I want to remind everybody something. But I want to tell you guys, it feels like ages that I've been waiting to talk about this game with you guys, even though it's only been a week.、Um, I've been itching to talk about this game with you guys. So, we're not going to waste any more time. We're going to get right into it. But before we do, just be warned that this is a story driven podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, 
there will be spoilers. From this point on, anything goes about this game. So if you don't want to be spoiled, you're still playing it a little bit, go back, finish the game, and then come back here. And then listen to what we have to say, because uh, we feel like we're important or something. But anyways, let's get into it. In the opening scene of the game, which takes place in 1274, a massive Mongolian invasion fleet led by Kotun Khan hits the shores of Tsushima, a Japanese island. Jin Sakai, the protagonist, is seen joining the rest of the samurai force, who is vastly outnumbered. Led by his uncle, Lord Shimura, they look to thwart the pressing invasion. The small army led the charge on horseback towards the Mongols and are quickly decimated. Lord Shimura was captured, and Kotun Khan wounds Jin to the point of near death. Jin was found and taken care of by a thief named Yuna. She informed Jin that most of the island was under Mongol rule at the time of him waking up. Jin went to Kotun's stronghold at Kaneda Castle as he attempted to rescue Lord Shimura, but unfortunately, Kotun defeated Jin with ease and tossed him off of the bridge to plummet a long distance into the water. All of this takes place before the player even sees the title screen. The exposition is a major tragedy, thrusting the player immediately into the conflict, which is an interesting juxtaposition to the rest of the game, which is a slower burn due to it being a massive open-world game. Josh, did the opening sequence motivate you and excite you to delve further into the story when you first booted up the game? Ooh, yes, but I wanted to explore so much that I kind of felt like I was leaving, leaving my, uh, letting my priorities kind of slide a little bit right at the beginning as well. Yeah. Um, which, yeah. So like, anyway, anyway, like it, it, it worked. It made me want to go do that, but it also didn't make me feel like I needed to immediately go do that. Um, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, I, th- I think that's... No, that makes perfect sense. I feel like the way the story is written, if it feels pressing, but at the same time, it, do- it doesn't feel immediate. You know, like mm-hmm. there's always that looming threat, but it doesn't feel like I need to solve this right now. And I think that's obviously in its favor because it is an open-world game. Yeah. yeah it doesn't feel like Maybe. it's an immediate I don't threat know. because... It almost feels like the damage is done to a point. Yeah, and also, like, you know that he's fairly safe. Like, it it seems like he's being well taken care of as a prisoner enough that uh, it's not like, oh, shit, I've got to go do this now. Yeah, they're not torturing him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. They kind of realize his value as a prisoner. So he's not in any immediate danger. Um, and we, as the player know that, but Jin doesn't know that weirdly enough, you know, Jin has yeah. no way of knowing that. So like Jin feels the pressing need, but we, as the player don't feel that pressing. We're going to go chase a Fox <laughs> or 10 of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Morgan, 
what did you think of the opening sequence? Did it motivate you and excite you to uh, delve into the story more? Uh, not the beginning part of it, um, where they were sort of like that samurai siege and you survive. Uh, they're trying to, when they introduce Khan as sort of the villain, trying to get a feel for his character. Of course, he imprisons uh, Shimura. Uh, what's his name again? Uh, Shimura? Lord Shimura. Shimura. Lord Shimura. Yeah, how, if you want to do Japanese, um, it's Vegeta. Shimura, or if you want to just do American English, it's Shim- Shimura. Shimura. Okay, I'll get that wrong. No, that was a good um, attempt. Yes. That was a good attempt. <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they're trying to establish that even though he's sort of like a larger, bulkier villain, he was more trying to be more of an intellectual presence. You know, he wasn't sort of hulking around to be sort of like just a generic behemoth. Um, there's like, you know, showing those scenes where he's sort of just interacting with uh, Lord Shimra uh, in the uh, in the, you know, imprisonment or what have you um and yeah and then uh, i really like the title screen and everything but you know like a lot of open world games they have to sort of just calmly set the stakes like okay here's what's going on but you need to rally all the forces of this land or you don't have any chance so they just mark your map doot, 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 and you realize that you have to you know do the open world thing of building rallying your forces to uh to go take it down so no i don't really think it is very pressing you guys make a good point like the he's pretty He's pretty comfortable that they don't really want to hurt him. They want him to change his opinion on what's going on because of the power that he has. So the the goal is not really to to kill him per se, um, but you still do want to rescue him, which is interesting. So yeah, it was it was yeah. fun. It was, it was it was serviceable in your eyes, but it didn't it didn't stir anything in you to just be like I I got I got to complete this mission. Whatever I'm being tasked with is immediate like that's not what you felt is what you're saying correct yeah no no not necessarily it was just like okay well i better start uh going to these you know checkpoints and start meeting people love checkpoints yeah no that's fair that's fair you you, you <laughs> kind of settled waypoints. into i think waypoints is a better term yeah that that's fair you kind of just settled into okay this is going to be another open world type of game after the opening sequences okay yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Rich, how did you feel about the opening sequence? Uh, I think to an extent, I kind of mirror a little bit of what uh, Josh and Morgan were saying. With like, it doesn't feel super pressing. It's definitely an intriguing intro, uh, the sort of like build you up to break you down kind of thing. Um, and uh, one of the strongest parts about that opening for me is Morgan actually noted how they try and build the con up as sort of this more intriguing, like intellectual villain. Uh, he has sort of a speech at that part that I really like where he talks about, he's like, you know, while you clung to your traditions, you know, we did, we learned your language, we learned your traditions to figure out the best way to defeat you. And I I feel like in a sort of sweeping motion, not necessarily if you really want to dig into the history, uh, the cons tend to get generalized as like these, you know, savage barbarians a lot, but they were like really brilliant tacticians. And they showcase that really well here, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I think Sucker Punch did such a good job of depicting characters that were not like these typical, you know, caricatures that we've come to know throughout the years. You know, like you're saying, and Morgan was saying 
Kotun Khan was someone who was more methodical and he was thinking about things. Jin, and this is one of the big, actually one of the biggest issues I have with a lot of stories is when you first start a game and then you feel super powerful, like you're watching a cutscene and this character feels super powerful. And then when you get access to them, they feel completely neutered and watered down. And you basically, it feels like you get this powerful character and then he's a, he or she or it or they um, is a shell of their former selves and you have to kind of rebuild them back up. And I think what this intro did so well was show Kotun Khan is a very, he's as intellectual as he is strong. And Jin Sakai isn't this like badass samurai that you're taking control of. He's this young samurai who has so much to learn and they do such a good job i think in the opening sequence of depicting that early on that like basically you're taking um control of this very raw character and you're going to actually have to form and build this character up you're going to be actively doing that it isn't something that he or she or they had at the beginning lost and then they have to get back again i really like that about this game and i think sucker punch and their writers did a really good job of that um but yeah let's move on from the opening sequence i don't think there is too terribly much to say there i just i i thought i wanted to mention that i thought that they did a really good job in that be, uh that beginning sequence of kind of setting things up so. yeah very beautiful title sequence too yeah. i feel like it oh, sets up i feel like it sets up the enemy way better than it sets up jin the player in that, in that point because it it makes you it it feels like there's it's it's weighted to make you understand who it is you're fighting way more than it is you know telling you about who you who are you at are. that point yeah. yeah i think that's fair i think that's fair i think i think that it's to its benefit as we're going to discuss later how the story develops i think that was a if that was an intentional choice which i i'm led to believe it is i think that was a for me it was a smart choice it, it's a choice that worked in its favor for me but yes i agree that title screen is amazing i love that title screen so after making it to shore jin came to the conclusion that he could not defeat kotun khan alone as a result he set out to seek help from any allies he could find who could aid him in the fight or teach him techniques that would help him be effective in defeating kotun and rescuing lord shimura after some discussion and a struck agreement, Yuna and Jin rescued Taka, her blacksmith younger brother. In exchange, they were to help liberate Lord Shimura. He also recruited a master sharpshooter, Sensei Ishikawa, a female samurai on a revenge mission, Masako Adachi, a mischievous merchant who loves his alcohol, Kenji, and his childhood friend and leader of the Straw Hat Ronin, Ryuzo. As Jin was slowly loosening the hold that the Mongol invaders had, rumors began to spread around the island of a samurai known as the Ghost. The first act moves fairly slowly. <laughs> Rich typed in the chat, yo, fuck Ryuzo. 100% agreed. The first hey. act moves fairly slowly as compared to act two and three, as we are getting a feel for the helping characters, what the island is, plenty of practice with the gameplay, and much more. 
there's a lot that really goes into that first act do you guys feel that all the side content and exploration was well paced with the main story now i'm going to throw this to you first morgan because i know you had the least amount of experience with the side content so i think it'd be you know better to get your opinion out of the way on this that way um we can kind of lead into people who had a little bit more experience with this. But, yeah, I'm still curious. What did you think about if you played any side content at all? Do you think it was well-paced with the main story? I did uh, – the the side content I did was definitely in the first act. I did maybe three or four of them. I don't remember them in specifics. The um, – like the, the archer guy um, – is that Ishikawa? Is that his name? Yes. Ishikawa. He – was that, that was not a side quest, though. They, that was a mandatory quest, right? The first, like, two or so are. After yeah. that, it's side content to continue they, they all They all start okay. off as, like, the first one or two being required. Enough and to then... convince them to help you regardless. Yeah. So here's the weird thing about that. Uh, as someone who mostly just mainlined the story because I wanted to be able to have this conversation, and obviously we'll talk about that later, I wasn't as into it as... Um, other people here were um the i thought uh sorry host just left and it threw me off um <laughs> so i'm trying to remember the ones i did i did a couple for uh the you lady would, you would have who, done a couple for everybody okay i guess you would have had to do at yes. least a couple for all of them. you have to do one so to two to... of them for everybody yeah yeah like i said the 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 story aspect, of, like the storytelling aspect of it, I thought was was fine. Um, one thing that bugged me a little bit was that this is going to sound kind of nitpicky, but it was just something that I noticed um, that was a little more old school. In that, when you play a lot of the older open world games, what happens is like the the two little black bars will come down, and characters will just kind of stand there a little bit, kind of stiff like boards. And there was a lot of that kind of going on, like the in in this the side content presentation, um, that was kind of bugging me. Like it just it didn't like the presentation was not like uh, super impressive for me. But the story seemed fine. But yeah, the the gameplay aspects of it turned me off a little bit, and I think that's why I didn't go down the side content road as much as you guys did. I will say, weird side note, as someone who mostly mainlined the 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 story or the campaign, whatever you want to call it, the, the gold missions, you don't really, <laughs> I never saw any of those people ever again until the end of the game. You basically hang out with, um, Taka and what's her name? Yuna. Yuna. Um, you hang out with mostly them. And then there's like the, there's a couple small appearances, like that weird little guy with the hunchback, um, that kind of sneaks Kenji? around and helps you out. Yeah. Kenji. Yeah. Um, you, you don't really, a lot of those people disappear if you don't do the side content until the very end of the game, like at the final encampment and it, um, which I just thought was interesting. Like I totally forgot some of those people were, so if you don't do that side content, you won't get really no, you anything see from them. them in them. They always appear at the bigger narrative points, but like, it's typically like an optional objective to speak to them at camps and stuff like that, but they're there. Well, that's that's what I mean. They're just kind well, of no, there. I mean, it's so, an, uh, yeah, it's an optional objective within the main mission is what I mean. Yeah. So it was a little weird because I totally forgot that, like, the archer guy that I had did, did a couple quests with. And, and that's fine. It rewards you more for exploring those characters if you're if you're invested in them. I just thought it was interesting that it basically started to revolve around mostly 
Taka, you, your uncle, um, Lord Shim- Shimura, and uh, Yuna. And then a lot of those ancillary characters were mostly just relegated to, to side characters. So, Yeah, the, the thing is that when you play the side content uh, and you delve into their stories further, you realize that a lot of the time you're not seeing them because they're, they're off doing their own things. Like, uh, And we'll get into this a little bit later, but Sensei Ishikawa is chasing Tomoe, his former student who is defected and is helping the Mongols. And so yeah, he's chasing yeah, that her. Girl, yeah. Yeah, Tomoe. Yeah. And he's chasing her and he's trying to find leads. So when you're not seeing him all the time, it's because he's actively looking for leads. But he knows that, like, he is because you are helping him, he's kind of honor bound to be there when you need him, kind of thing. Same with yeah. Um, yeah. Kenji, for I example, cool. or same with uh, Masako, Masako Arachi, for example. Like, those characters, they come and go as they please because they're doing other things that um you learn about more in their story further if you delve into that yeah so i guess in summation i would just say if you just can't if you do the main narrative they're just not really that important to it but they do sound like interesting side characters so they're they're amazing dude it's it's their all of their stories is the best part of the game in my opinion um i agree 100 percent yeah, so we're, we're definitely going to have a section for that later. One thing I wanted to touch upon, Morgan, that you said that I, I agreed with in the opening section, I think we talked about this on the Chompcast, is that um, some of the earlier side quests are incredibly, incredibly dull. Like, uh, one of the things I grew really, really tired of is following footsteps in the game. Um, I really, it, it, it got old fairly quickly it's just like that's something that games either need to have a smarter system for or just do away with thankfully they had the the wind system to act as um waypoint guides which i i love and appreciate that system very much because that's what kind of kept me going through having to deal with all the footstep missions like tracking down footsteps but that's something that just is not my favorite in games like it's so it's so weird Go ahead. Some some of them were all right, like like thematically they were all right, but way too many of them are front loaded. Like you get a ton of missions early on where you have to follow footsteps, and it's just like yeah, it, it feels like every other mission you're following somebody's footstep, and it you get you get really tired of it. And I think had they just used it more sparingly it would have worked better all around yeah for sure because when you get to the back end of the game and you're going after your 25th set of footsteps you're like i gotta do this again like i'm always following footsteps when i want to walk my own path and like Mm. again morgan said it's such a nitpicky thing because it really is a nitpicky thing but like this is one of the main issues i had with the game is doing this style of mission over and over again it drove me kind of nuts to be honest with you but um how like the footsteps would pick up and then disappear and then pick up again and that's basically to make sure that you as the player are not just putting yourself on autopilot as you're following these footsteps but um, it doesn't make sense at all from a logical standpoint of why six pairs of footprints would step f- five foots in the mud and then you're walking through mud and then those footsteps disappear and then suddenly they reappear again. They reappear. Like five, yeah. five meters later. later. Like it would make sense if it, 
wasn't clearly a path the entire way. That too. That yeah. too. So it's it was a it was an idea that isn't necessarily bad. The implementation of it was not my favorite. Um, it's very like Josh said, is very front loaded. So wasn't the biggest fan of that. Um, I definitely think Morgan has some valid points there. I want to say so. Uh, Rich, how did you um, how did you feel about the, all the side content ex- and exploration in terms of pacing with the main story? Uh pacing feels weird almost but that's like the nature of open world games like the first island is so big um and there's so much to do so suddenly and when i say that i'm I'm thinking in terms of like the simpler stuff like the inari shrines and all that which are just you feel like you could run off and do those for hours uh as far as what we were talking about before like the the quest with like uh lady misako and uh ishimura and all that I think those are paced really well because they split them into, I think they're like nine, the longest ones are about nine chapters and it'll be like, oh, there's three in the first island, there's three in the second and then two on the final island. So they kind of spread those stories out nicely over the the overarching narrative and I think those are handled really well pace wise because it the second I would see one of those popped up, I'm like, oh, I want to see what fucking Ishimura's up to. Like, I, I want to check back in with that little story. Like, I, I do think those in particular, those side missions, those character missions are some of the best content in this game. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And I think you meant, did you mean Ishikawa? Is that what you meant? Ishikawa, yes. Did I say Ishimura? Yeah, that's all good. That's the spaceship from Dead Space. <laughs> it's all good, man. I just want to make sure. The USS Ishimura. It's all good. If I give Morgan crap, I got to give you crap for that. So at least I immediately realized what it was I was talking about. Mm, Don't try to cover your tracks, Rich. Yeah. <laughs> Don't step half of them in the mud and then have them reappear five meters later. But Josh, I can only you... float sometimes. I see what you. <laughs> it's it's a temporary spell, I swear. Josh, how did you feel about the side content and exploration um, within the first act? Because I know that that's. Um, a large part of where you put your time into. Um, how was that in comparison to the main story? I liked the like actual side missions. Um, I think a lot of the just exploration type stuff, like clearing out camps and uh, those got old those get really old because those are all basically identical um with with the odd exception of early on you might want to try to sneak up to find the commander so you can get your stances faster but even that's not necessary and if you don't do that they're all identical um so like the, the side like missions missions um especially with Lady Misako are excellent um cuz I was I was mentioning about how that intro is really teaching about the enemy there those missions do a really good job of having you actually care about the people he killed which at the beginning you're like oh I I like this guy's obviously about to be killed you know unceremoniously like it's to prove what a badass the enemy is like it's it's obvious what this character's role is and then making you care about him later on by having him be 
uh, a relative of someone else you actually grow to care about. It's I thought was done that really one. well. I think, Josh, because there's a literal, I think it's the second or third mission for Lady Misako where you literally go to the beach with her to try mm-hmm. and recover her son's body. Yeah. And it's like fucking chilling. That that actually, that was the mission I think that broke me on the side quests, Rich. I, I'm going to have to respectfully disagree with you on that one. If I remember right, was that the one where you were looking for the banners on the of all the dead people on the yeah. beach? It's where you return to the beach where everything initially happened at the beginning of the game. It's where you see um, where your old horse fell um, as he was killed. Um, it's, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, I, I did that one, and it felt very, like, pedantic to me. Like, it was like, walk five feet. She was like, look for a banner. I was like, okay, walk five well, feet. We're talking about the, the narrative, like the writing there, not the gameplay. Like, I don't... Well, I mean, but that's that's part of it for me is like what they're doing with like the narrative story. T- yeah, it just felt it just felt very generic to me. It didn't did not do anything. So it's interesting to hear that you actually. Well, what that part what was, was it supposed to do? Were they supposed chilling. to have more of the shit combat in this in that section to break it up? No, but walking five feet to I mean, like it was almost like comical. Like, do you see another flag? I'm like, there's a flag four feet in front of me. It's the color I'm looking it's for. It's weird like, it to just... me that that's the part that sticks with you because, like, I forgot that you were getting flags. Like that wasn't the point of that mission to me. Yeah, same. Well, but again, but I already complained about the other part of the story too. I don't want to be too nitpicky on that. Um, but like, I just wish the presentation on like the. Because the quest, whenever I hear you guys talk about it, it sounds like it gets pretty interesting. And she was one of the few characters that I actually thought seemed pretty cool. But um, most of the time, it was just sort of like a static camera p- pulling back. And I just, I didn't really find what they were talking about super interesting. So, yeah, it just, it just didn't work for me. Huh. I, th- I think that's part a lot like um, exploratory puzzle solving, I think, is kind of what they were going for there. Specifically in that instance is like... Um, just looking around in the environment and figure out what you're looking for. And it might've just been the scenario where you happen to be at the right place at the right time. It's not a difficult thing to solve or or figure out by any means, but like I didn't like just immediately walk into it and be like, Oh, I'm here already. It was like something where I was kind of looking around, looking at the different um, people who had fallen, looking, looking at the stuff on the ground, looking in the distance at the Mongol ships. Yeah. Yeah. The, the people being, um, that are hang- hanging yeah. from um, the uh, where they were um, strung up by the Mongol invasion force. Like I was, I was taking in the entire environment, and then I would be like, "Oh, okay, I, I need to be looking for this thing for um, Lady Adachi." So I, it wasn't something that maybe, like maybe I just immediately fell into. Her. Like Morgan is kind of talking about yeah. here. Well, yeah, if you guys are more probably more invested in that storyline too, up until that point as well, like maybe maybe that probably had something to do with it. Um, I just thought it was interesting that you mentioned that, Rich, because I was I was actually going to mention that one. I just wish that they had put in some of the like the production values into those interactions with those characters and the, and the side missions that because I that stuff sounds more interesting, you know, like without jumping too far ahead, like there and was I like think a cutscene. Production you, values so, were there. It's just a static camera that pulls back. Oftentimes, I mean, you can. It's it's just really simple. It didn't like what I mean. Well, what is you like, want? shots, Rich. We need crane shots. There's the production values are not on par with a lot of open world games that you see now when it comes to a lot of those storytelling moments. For example, when you sit down later in the game and you have uh, those drinks with Yuna and it's kind of a nice moment that you have 
and you know you actually get a different camera angle and they're like sitting down kind of leaning up on the side of that fence i don't know you might not have gotten this to this part josh uh, it's later on and i think the second act um i thought i you know i just wish that they would that sort of time and effort would have been put into those side missions because those characters seem pretty interesting but usually it would just be sort of a, a static camera that pulls out 10 or 15 feet away or kind of static camera up a little bit closer and i just wanted like a little more um I just want to be a little more impressed by the presentation, I guess. I don't think that has to do with production value. I think that's the style that it's it was like shot. The cinematography. Because... Yeah, exactly. Well, one of the things that they said they did to sort of make up for, like, a lot of the faces that didn't look good is that they would pull the... A lot of those smaller characters you run into in the road and stuff that have, like, the really, like, low-level detail on the faces is they'll just pull the camera back. Well, we're talking so about talking, major but... characters Yeah, here. like, I, I don't recall like, it happening... the work was done. ...ever in this particular quest because for the most part they didn't take camera control away at all because they wanted you to look around at the battlefield like i what i'm saying is that there's different tiers there's like the the low tier people you run to in the road then you have like the middle tier which yeah, is but the that's side not what quest. we're talking about um, yeah like there are, and then you had those higher level cutscenes with the characters that i i wanted more of those with the side characters so i just i wanted more of that artistic presentation with the side characters because they did seem interesting it does have it further into the stories as you get into them. Um, I, I never, like, I personally never saw an issue. I didn't think there was a lack of production value. Um, I didn't have any issues personally with the way it was shot. I actually really enjoyed the way it was shot, um, the cinematography of it, because for me, it added to the emotional heft of what was going on for each one of their side missions. But I, I think that at the end of the day, it's probably just like a preference for you, Morgan, that uh, you didn't like the way it was shot, and I think that's perfectly okay. I, I think that I think the, the lack of production in terms of the facial animation is a little bit different than this particular example because yeah, that was an issue yeah. as well. I mean, yeah, I, for, you know, further into the game when I was when I was talking about earlier when you run into um, the little Mongol groups out in the environment and there's a hostage and you have to rescue them. It actually happened to me in the game where I rescued one and it was this bald man. He's like, thank you. I can never repay you. And like he gives you some kind of trinket that you never know, like it never becomes a usable item or anything like that in the game. But um, you assume it's like some kind of like thing that's valuable to them. But the next hostage I ran into in exploration on the world was the exact same character model as the one I had just rescued. And I thought that was hilarious. That took me out of the game a little bit. And that's like, yes, in terms of that, like being a lower production value, I definitely think that wasn't the greatest thing in the world. It didn't, it didn't bug me at the end of the day. It made me laugh really hard. Um, But if somebody's like very serious about the immersion process, I could see where that would bug people. But like with these side characters. It's a little strange that they're invading Japan with a clone army. And it's it's never addressed. <laughs> it's the Clone Wars all over it, again. Mm-hmm. Master Sign uh, I, 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 I want to be I want to yeah. be clear on that. It's not a major like horrible criticism. It was just like that's one of the things that you guys know me. Like I'm really in tune to like that side of the presentation. Um, even if the storytelling is even like simpler, if the presentation can really pull me into it, well, I love no, like watching the I cinematography. Just, and, that's the thing. Yeah. It just sounds and, like and you I don't. Just, like I, I think it's the a way stylistic it was shot, thing. which is I, yeah. Yeah, it just seemed a little dull to me. Yeah, but but also, um, way too many. At the end of the day, are those pop up? Like like it, it does it. There are constantly 
people being abducted that you're just like running into constantly so and did any of you run into the old uh save the hostage they thank you and then a mongol kills them because that happened to me countless times and it's hilarious <sighs> yeah yeah I, I definitely I'm ran like, into some weird things. City. Like, I'd go to run into a Mongol camp to save people, and suddenly there are three straw hat ronin preventing me from rescuing, so I'm going to fight them, and I get killed. And then I checkpoint right back at that same spot, and suddenly those three straw hat ronin have disappeared, and I can just go into the camp again. I, I had weird stuff like that happen, mm-hmm. of course, which is... It's... it's games it's video game stuff so like it wasn't such a big deal but i was like i guess the solution is to just die and respawn like kind of kind of promote safe scumming if you're having a difficult time like can i get a more favorable situation there but um it's like to kind of wrap this up this particular part up and move forward because we are going to talk about specifically the side missions we're talking about in more detail here in a little bit but i I felt like the production value is definitely there, and I, f- I feel like the way, personally, that th- they were shot, I think that it was very, very emotionally moving. There was a lot of symbolism in each of their storylines the further you get into it. Um, I-, I think that maybe where Morgan's hang-up is is because he didn't, you know, obviously go down their complete storylines, that it's kind of... Uh, parallelism to act one where there is some symbolism there and there's a lot of beauty in there but it isn't maximized until act two and act three and i think that's the kind of it can kind of be said of these side story these side stories or these side missions with these um these characters as well like their stories grow so amazing and like uh rich josh and i are all like man they they get amazing and i think that's kind of the point too is like they're kind of slow burns in themselves like they're interesting but they don't really get interesting until about midway through so yeah i could see that i can imagine they probably have a yeah yeah that makes sense i mean to be fair i was only judging the first couple steps in them and it just didn't it wasn't clicking for me but i i could see that for sure they they definitely get a lot better there's a lot more visual um I don't want to say overhauling, but it just it gets more and more on the grand the scale of grandness, I guess. So, but yeah, let's go ahead. And mo- let's one of the oh, one things ahead. I think that's important to if you have a question about this later, Shay, I won't bring it up now. But I did want to, I think it might help to understand where we're at because we had a lot of conversations about Jin as a character, and there was something interesting I wanted to ask you guys. But if you're going to ask us about Jin later. I w- we don't have to do it. I, I don't want to step on your. Toes I, I think there. I think we can talk about it a little bit later because I, I think it feels a little bit out of place here. But yeah, we can definitely get into it a little bit later. I d- I definitely have some lead-ins for that, so um, we'll definitely get into that a little bit later. So, um, but yeah, let's get back to the story. Um, I think we've talked about that section enough. Taco worked on and created a special grappling hook that allowed Jin to scale the castle walls. He asked his allies to perform a direct assault, allowing him to sneak in and rescue Lord Shimura. Buzo defected, citing that his men were starving, and his only option was to collect the bounty on Jin's head. Jin fended off Ryuzo and the Mongols to rescue Lord Shimura and recaptured Kaneda Castle, but Kotun Khan has fled north to capture Lord Shimura's castle with the straw hat ronin 
After Lord Shumura is rescued, he has a discussion with Jin about Kotun telling him what he heard about the ghost. Shumura reminds Jin in a firm way of the samurai code and makes Jin promise to not use those tactics anymore. While it's not veiled in a secret twist, the game's writers, Ian Ryan, Liz Albel, Patrick Downs, and Jordan Lemos, I wanted to make sure I pronounced that correctly, did a great job of foreshadowing what was to come as Act 1 was ending. Did you think that the foreshadowing up to this point was effective in leading the player to the inevitable conclusion? And I'm going to go ahead and throw that question to you first, Rich. Uh, yeah, I mean, when we talk about it, I think it's not a big surprise where the story goes, but it's sort of the setup for, uh, Jin's, like, character growth and all that, and sort of grappling with, uh, his indecision about whether to stick to the tradition and the way he was raised as this, you know, proud, noble warrior, um, these moments with his uncle where he always remembers being taught, you know, we, we look our enemy in the eye when we kill them. Um, you know, like the the samurai are, are proud warriors, and these like you know sort of uh, more ninja like behavior, these stealth tactics, and you know cutting people's throat from behind. Uh, there's there's a scene in there where uh, your uncle kind of gives you the benefit of the doubt. He's like, I know you did what you had to do to help me, but we're we're beyond that now. You know, we're together again. We have each other's backs, and we're going to to win this the right way. And it it builds up to that whole illusion of Jin sort of realizing like no we need to evolve or we're going to be defeated like they know exactly what we're going to do this isn't an enemy we can face head on and I I do think they do a good job of building up his sort of internal struggle with coming to terms with that yeah yeah I love the intermittent cutscenes whether it's like a minute long or 30 seconds long or even 5 seconds long where it's like Shimura reminding him we look our enemies in the eyes when we defeat them, when we kill them, when we take their life. You know, I like those intermittent reminders of that. Uh, Josh, do you, do you think that the foreshadowing up to this point was effective in leading the player to the inevitable conclusion? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like the whole. I feel like I, I again. I, I, some of this is going to depend on how many side missions you did or whatnot. But like, I feel like especially with Diozo betraying you there, that it's like literally a dozen times in the different missions before then. It's it's you you tell him about all the free food you've got to help take care of his guys, <laughs> and then his thing is. Man, I've got to feed these guys. I don't know how I'm going to do that without betraying you. And it was it was kind of hard to process. Um how exactly it, he got to that point? Well, yeah. the, part part of the thing that I kind of glossed over too and I can I can talk about that just really quickly is like background for anybody listening and for all of us. Uh Rizzo and Jin both took part in this tournament. And basically, if Ryuzo won, he was going to become a samurai at the end of it. And Jin came in, and Jin was going to be a samurai no matter what because of his uh, bloodline, his 
uh, lineage. He he would be a samurai no matter what, whether he win or won or lost this tournament. So mm-hmm. for Ryuzo, this was his only way to become a samurai. And Jin went in there like balls to the walls, won the tournament, took it away from Ryuzo. And those two were childhood friends. So when that happened, Ryuzo felt like he was betrayed by his best friend. And it kind of caused a rift between these two as you kind of learn about through the dialogue of them doing missions together throughout Act 1. So when the betrayal happens, Ryuzo says, I need to feed my men. But then you know at the end of the day that's just a guise, and he drops the pretense, and he's like, look, you betrayed me all these years ago. Yeah, I'm betraying you now because this is the only way... I'm going to get one up on you at this point. And that's what it becomes about. Like the, the him saying like, I need to feed my men. Th- that's bullshit. Like at the end yeah. of the day, it's because he feels it just, slighted. But again, by it, it kind of depends on how many side quests you've done at that point. It's a justification, but True. it's this, this, this one's a strange one to be in a side quest because it's a character you've known this whole time. It's not someone new you're meeting and learning about. It, it this all happened. It's backstory. So it's... I thought that was a strange one to have relegated to to a side mission is kind of what I was getting at because it's oh, missable okay, yeah, yeah. that... I think that's fair. You know, you guys have had beef in the past um, yeah, when you get yeah. to that point. Yeah. So that's all side content? Not, uh, most of it. I think they, they I bring know, up a little... Like it's just briefly, it. briefly they mentioned. They it, but they really hash it out in that side quest with Ryuzo, where they yeah. talk about... Because uh, he, he okay. even says so, to him there, he's like, you know, I can make it up to you when we save my uncle. I, I, you know, he'll make you a samurai for doing yeah. this. Like, we can set things right. So there's a... So he has, like... Ryuzo has, like, a whole side quest arc. He does. And a like, small one, The but thing yeah. is, Jin sets him up to, like right the wrongs that Ryuzo feels like Jin has uh, done to him. And I think it was interesting, and I think it's unfortunate, like Josh is saying, I agree that that any of that would have been side content because when you play through that side content, the way Ryuzo talks and acts, you know he's going to betray Jin. Like, you know it's coming. Like, there's no shock value there when... Uh, Ryuzo doesn't show up with the other members and it's like it all but confirmed it for me when they're like where's your buddy at and I was like oh he fucking betrayed him like for sure like 100% you're gonna run into him in that castle like you knew it and it's because the way the writing was done and the interaction between the two during that side quest so it's really unfortunate that it was kind of not necessarily gated behind that but it was an optional it was optional to play that because I think it was necessary yeah, whereas because then you, it, it makes it, I feel makes like that if you interaction much more important. Yeah, I feel like if you skip it, you get to that section and you're like, "Oh, was were the people who showed up dependent on whether or not I did enough side quests? Like maybe maybe he would have showed up if I just finished that arc." And that that is the sort of like you you get the you, you want yeah. the gamey sort of explanation for it because you're yeah. playing a game. It's a weird um, story beat to make missable. Yeah, I, I can. Yeah, I can tell you as somebody who just mainlined the story that it was 
really poorly handled. I mean, like they the mission you do right before he turns, even though the turn of him is actually cool. I like him as a heel character. And the fight, I'll say the nice things first because I'm trying to be as positive as I can about this. The actual fight with him in that little pool was fucking beautiful. Oh, with the lanterns and everything? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a really cool fight. Yeah. But um, as someone who just mainlined the story, the mission right before that, I mean, I was really paying attention to it, too, because I actually liked Ryuzu as a character. Um, he, You help him rescue his men. He says one line about, you know, he says, my men mean everything to me. That's it. And then you guys are laughing and joking kind of in that playful, friendly way. And then suddenly, not only is he betraying you, but he's lighting people on fire five minutes later. Hey, you do what it's you got to like do, man. I mean, Doggy like, dog it was, world. It was so abrupt. Like, it makes so much more sense now that I know that, that there was information. There's beef, yeah. Now, I, I, I might slightly disagree with Shay, which I know he'll probably say, well, you didn't do any of the side content, so you're wrong. And he's probably right. But I felt like what they were I don't were agree to do with you, you're wrong because you didn't do any of the side content. I don't agree with you and you're I'm wrong. Sorry, but I'm kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't have interrupted you. I'm you're, sorry. You're, go ahead. You're probably, you're probably right. But what I, what I got from, from him as a character was that his whole deal was he was pushed to desperate measures. Like, yes, he brought up the food a lot, but his whole thing was being pushed to desperate measures because of what the con had done um, to the land. And that's why he changed. And I wish they would have showed me how much he cared about his men more and his descent into that decision, because that's not an easy decision to make. Um, and the fact that that's not in the... Here's the deal with side content. If it fleshes out the story, that's great. But it shouldn't be missable if it's important to the primary story. I think we'd all agree with that, right? Yeah. No, 100%. Because the thing is, like, when, like you were talking about, he burns somebody a few minutes later, you see him kind of, for a split second, wrestle with that decision. And it's it makes a lot more sense having played that side content because mm-hmm. you kind of fill in the gaps there. And I think it's well acted, too, um, or well illustrated, yeah. however you want to want to put it, is like you can see him. He's like, do I really, truly want to descend down this path? Is this the path I want to take? Am I this angry at Jin that I want to do this? Is is this situation? Is this the only way I can help my men? Am, am I going to just, yeah. you know, like keep my pride and say fuck Jin and do it this way. And you see that split second reaction and then he goes with it. And yeah. you're like, yep, this like this character there's no way like there's no redemption for this character. And that, I love that I love that yeah. whole sequence. Like the end of act 1 is so well done and it's unfortunate like I I'd completely forgotten that this was side content because you actually meet his men. Um yeah in the side content and you like you meet his men and you see their encampment and a lot of them are injured and starving and you actually see that and so yeah i just i wish that wouldn't have been side content because it's super well, integral it's, to it's what happens weird at the end too, of that though game. because like it's weird it's Why? it's side content but then the more side content you do the more it seems just like okay you guys had beef but you're doing everything you can to help him out now. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a really weird way to have handled well, that. Well, that's my that point, Josh. Well, the mission right before that, you actually go with him into a facility. You rescue his men for him. The, you know, those hungry men or whatever would not be alive if it wasn't for me. And, and then literally, if you run yeah. from that mission to the next mission... That's, those two missions are right next to each other. Yeah. They're connected. You talk to Yuna for about 20 seconds, and then you go right into the yeah. the infiltration mission. Well, and I do and, think and if you do more of the side stuff, it's like four other missions of you trying to find food for his men, and there's literally just no fucking food anywhere. Um, 
like one after another and but again you're helping him try to do this it's just and they also if i'm not mistaken at the end of that they end up like he notes to you that oh he's following a lead that you get him about a caravan transporting supplies and that's where the the whole idea is supposed to be they get ambushed while trying to take that caravan and that's presumably where kotokan makes the proposition for them to join him hypothetically speaking yeah like that think, that's the I assumption that that's supposed is, to be made i believe i think that's well, interesting to sort of theorize about but the yeah the execution is very strange the, yeah to to speak to speak on that i felt like and maybe this is just me filling the gaps filling in the gaps here but i felt like with that character because this happened years ago you get the you get the feeling that this happened like 10 years ago years or 12 of years ago um that like yeah th- there's been all this year all these years between those incidents of resentment of hurt of failure of all that and then all of a sudden your friend comes up to you and is wanting you to help him and he's like i'm offering you help in return and it's like first this guy betrayed me like and this is me being ryuzo first this guy betrayed me like he already had he already had it made he completely fucked me out of my one chance i've been sitting here stewing i mean i i'm leading the straw hat ronin now but that's not that wasn't my dream that wasn't my goal and then suddenly he appears when there's a great tragedy and he's asking for my help and can i trust him to make it right after he betrays me the and also the thing he's promising in return is the thing that you rightfully deserved all those years ago in your mind right yeah exactly and so it like i can i can see where it would be a little bit awkward to some of the players or some of the people experiencing the story but like for me i re i really enjoyed learning about their former friendship and like this awkward whatever they had going on throughout act one like it really worked for me so even though i knew the betrayal was coming very early on when you start um hanging out with ryuzo it was still really impactful because of all these like little layers how complex of a character ryuzo is if you go and experience the side content and if you didn't then you like it's so weird how different that character will feel if you don't go experience that unfortunately but i felt like he was such a complex character and it had and weirdly enough i felt like he showed more character in act one than Jin does um because i i think that's i think that's kind of the case and this is kind of what you wanted to talk about earlier morgan that's kind of why i was saving it for now um is i feel like in act one a lot of um the the characters who are more interesting that have more of a personality are everyone around Jin, and then as you get into the further acts obviously that kind of changes but in the first act it's like everybody else is like i I still thought Jin was a very interesting character in act one but everyone else around him seemed to be even more interesting because they had more depth and personality and he was just kind of the person observing it all um minus the flashbacks and I know that's kind of how, somewhat how you felt as well, Morgan, if I am not mistaken. I think the interesting thing when I was trying to put your opinion of, of Jin together with like what Rich, me and Rich are saying about him feeling kind of cardboard um, in that early act um, was, 
I think there's probably a little truth to both. I think you you said a lot, I think you had a good point on the podcast about you know and and you're probably more entrenched in like Japanese culture and I think there's payoff for it later is the thing for him being this stoic character like when we first talked about that I, I was talking about how I thought he came off as cardboard but I think his character arc like kind of turns into that as you learn more about him via flashbacks and stuff and you get an idea of who he was and who he's becoming and th- there's more reason for it I think it's more justified with viewing the plot as a whole yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, especially when he show, if he shows emotion later. But I think the the issue is that if you just mostly do the the main narrative stuff, it's just you, all those interesting characters you're talking about and like all those things that are more interesting around him. I didn't really get as much of that, and now I'm learning that if you know, it probably makes more sense because I didn't do very much of the side content. So I kind of I kind of feel a little bit left out in that regard. But um, I just what I was thinking was interesting is. The idea of having a character who is, if you're making a case for him being a very solemn, stoic samurai, like, the idea, like, is that interesting, like, you, you for you guys, it was, if the characters around him are interesting long enough for him to become interesting. I don't know if Jin ever became interesting for me, but I think he definitely became a good character, and... It's just interesting. It's interesting having such a stoic. There's not. There's a lot of characters. Well, in, is it in interesting? That, is it interesting? There's, there's a lot of characters in in open world games of the past few years that like I haven't liked at first, but like they're generally not like boring. And so it was weird to like feel like he was just sort of a, a nonchalant player character. But you're right. His arc does. It does come into fruition if you hang and in there for I, I do twenty think or thirty hours. That stoicism, like. They, they kind of make good use of it when you start to get those flashbacks of him as a child and dealing with the death of his father and all that. And he's taught, you know, like he's the Lord of, you know, th- this area. Now he needs to be str- like the weight of the world is on his yeah. shoulders of his world at the very yeah. least. And he needs to conduct himself in such a way and behave in such a way. And he was a kid. And that's all that would, that would alter how yeah. you act around people that would change the way you view the world. Yeah. Yeah, I the thing was the thing was I remember before I had even played the game, I remember you guys had stated that Jin felt like this very cardboard character in act 1 and I tried to just ignore that when I started playing the game. And when I was playing the game, I did I felt like he was a stoic character, not a cardboard character. Maybe there's no distinction there for some people. For me there is because he was trying his best to live by the samurai code and obviously that goes places towards um when you get to the end of the game but i felt like that was such an important thing because we've talked about in various forms of major media about how a character's descent into someone or something else if it's not done correctly if it's not given enough context then it feels cheap or it feels off-putting like the, the the example i think of Every time that first comes to mind is Daenerys Targaryen. When we talk about in the last season of Game of Thrones, the TV show, how her descent into madness felt for some people felt abrupt. And I'm not here to discuss that. Obviously, that's a completely different conversation for a different day. But people felt like that that wasn't given enough of uh, emotional and uh, emotional uh 
notice i don't know the right word there and enough context foreshadowing yeah yeah foreshadowing is probably the right word and context into that descent and with jen i felt like there when you get to the end of the game which is kind of leads us back into the main point um the main question i was asking in the first place is that having him as such a stoic character at the beginning of of the game really speaks to like where he's at in his life how he's trying to follow in the trying to follow the teachings that the other samurai and Lord Shimura have taught him that is that have been passed down for generation of generations and where he ends up at the end of the game just feels like he feels like a completely different character uh, because of what he's gone through and what he's had to do. And so I felt like I feel like and I felt like if he had been just this like boisterous character, if he'd been this like character with a lot of motion at the beginning, becoming the ghost of Tsushima would have not felt as genuine or um, good of a payoff at the end of the game. So I felt like him being stoic needed to be that way at the beginning of the game through act one, all the way through the game personally. Um, And I obviously lends itself to the foreshadowing that the rest of the game does. There's a good chance a samurai would be very cardboard. They would be very stoic. Like, uh, like cardboard's probably a little heartful. Maybe like plywood or sheetrock or something. Well, there, so let, let me let me give you some context. I talked a little bit about this on the Chompcast. Um, I talked about Sensei Ishikawa because I was really enjoying him the first uh, first act, and I he's he, he's awesome. I love that character. I had a teacher um, that I worked with my first year here in Japan that was very similar to that style of Sensei Ishikawa. And, like, I think he's kind of like a representation of what Jin would kind of become, uh, minus all the, the trying to uh, look for his student, Tomoe. But where... Ishikawa is a an extremely disciplined man. He is very set in the ways of the samurai code. And that's like that's just the way it is. And I had this this teacher, he was very set in the ways of being very traditional. Um like you do not speak when a teacher is talking in the classroom and if you do, you will get yelled at kind of thing. Like I remember a few times I would walk by his classroom and the students are all just sitting there in complete silence just staring at him no expression on their face and he just looks pissed because somebody did something in his classroom that he considered disrespectful and he was setting them straight and he was like look this is not the way things are done in this society you will do things this way when you are in my classroom like that that's the kind of environment that he wanted and that's the, the kind of man he is like he's a very kind man um, he's a very funny man, but when he like when he has to do his job, when it comes to being responsible, he takes it very seriously. And so, um, yeah, it was to see that and then see that in a game was really funny and interesting. And I think a lot of the older generations um, of Japanese people who are still alive to this day, it's kind of the same thing. A lot of not all, but a lot of Japanese people, the older generations kind of adhere to that level of being respectful that's why you're not supposed to eat in public yeah when you're walking down the street in japan because it's considered disrespectful you're not supposed to um show a certain amount of flesh a uh, man or a woman because it's disrespectful um you're not supposed to be talking on your phone loudly like obviously u.s and other cultures kind of have some of these um 
social boundaries, so to speak, but it's taken to the next level in Japan. And so when you consider that and then you look at Jin as a character, yes, it's not necessarily he's being cardboard. It's he's being being he's taking his responsibilities seriously. He's taking the samurai code seriously, so on and so forth. That's my spiel. No, I, I, I honestly, I think you have, I think you have good analysis on it. I, um, and so I was trying to keep an open mind whenever you talked about it on the show. Could be like, is it something with me? Like, is it cultural? Like with me that I need like weird or boisterous characters, or is is he like maybe is there something risky about having kind of a stoic character for so long? There's just a lot of things I was thinking about. So, but yeah, I do think he pays off into a good character. Yeah, yeah, and I think part of that too is just the pacing of the game at the. Uh, between act one and then the other two acts because act one is a very long act uh i definitely i definitely uh have said it before and i'll say it again i think it is a little bit long um a little bit too long in some areas and i think loaded yes i think the game would have benefited from spreading some of that content out between acts two and three but um let's go ahead and move on i can tell you if you oh, just good. do act one if you just do the story missions it's not that long <laughs> it's very it's true that's very I'm good sure point. that's true much shorter game okay so act two open god hour in and we're only on act two but well, thankfully that was the longest three, act. basically one act act two opened up with Jin asking his allies to help him retake shimura castle citing that it was a great strategic location and essential for their victory to drive off the mongol invasion force Jin recruited norio and his band of warrior monks and the yarikawa clan that's a little difficult yarikawa clan there we go lord shimura called upon old favors asking the pirate goro or Goro, to smuggle a message to the Shogun on the mainland to send reinforcements, as well as to announce that he wanted to adopt Jin as his own son. While Lord Shimura laid out plans with his new army to take back Shimura Castle, Jin collected his family's ancestral armor from his old estate, which is cared for by Yuriko. She taught Jim how to use poison and craft it into blow darts. They enjoyed a day of traveling together to pray at various relatives' graves and watch one final sunrise together before she passed. I think that this scene is affecting for countless reasons, which is why I'm giving it a little bit extra here, but I want to address the main one. The scene serves to... Excuse me, sorry, I was reading like five things at once. The scene serves to sever one of the final ties that Jin has with his former life. In order for him to defeat the Mongols and retake Tsushima, he has realized that he cannot abide strictly by the samurai code any longer. He must use some tactics that are perceived as dishonorable in order to achieve victory. How successful was this series of missions with Yuriko in making you care about Jin as a character and the difficult choices he was making? Now, Josh, I don't know if you got far enough to experience Yuriko by chance. Were you able to get far enough to experience that or no? Uh, no, this is about where I stopped. Okay. Okay. So I'll go ahead and throw it to Rich because I'm, I'm 99.9% positive he did those missions. I did all the things. Okay. You did all uh, the things. Talk with yeah. me about it, baby. I, you and I talked a little bit about this uh, after yeah. you had finished it, I think this i believe yuriko has two uh side missions that i think are really strong because it gives you a sense 
of what Jin's life was like before. Um, and it gives you sort of this sense of peace, like you said, of him letting go of his past self. Uh, but also one of the things I think is really interesting of like character context you get there is she talks to Jin while they're riding through the woods a lot about his father. And he brings up, uh, you know, saying, I'm not so sure my father would agree with the path I'm on. And she brings up to him, she's like, oh, I'm not so sure that that's true. Like, you know, your, your father and your uncle butted heads a lot. They didn't see things the same way. And it kind of gives you this perspective of, it seems like Jin didn't really know his father that well. And it seems like there's more of his father in him than he realized. Like this rebellious spirit and this willingness to sort of break with tradition in order to save his people seems like something that his father very well may have agreed with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Morgan, did you experience all of Yuriko's storyline, or did you kind of skip some of those side missions? There's just there's just one uh, mission, primary mission. I didn't do any of the side stuff for her, um, and it was kind of annoying because I had to go to this one spot and look for... I was so thankful it was something where I didn't have to kill somebody finally, but it was like, go to, go look for these reeds, and I was just looking around the spot for like 30 minutes, and they were just this tiny little patch of grass under the bridge uh, that had evaded me somehow. But, um, you know, I just did the one, and so I was a little confused. I was going to ask you guys about a couple things to see if this was yeah. fleshed out in the side content. Because they were they were referring to me as the, the ghost since, like, Act 1, when I started picking up again, ghost, ghost, ghost. But, like... I wasn't really doing ghostly things, so I was trying to figure out, like, if there was, like, a a bigger reason for, I guess they were just sort of implied that, you know, assuming maybe you were doing a lot of stealth and stuff it's like that. It's more like or... the myth around you is growing, like, this lone samurai liberating the countryside, and he's employing tactics that samurai don't typically employ. Yeah, well, the only time, who, who was it that, was it Yuna that uh, pushed you to go get the... Poison darts. I'm trying to remember, like, what his motivation well, for getting those was. But, well, before we before we go further into that, just to add further to Rich's point, um, part of that too was because a lot of people assume that all of the samurai died. Like when when you run into some people on the on the um, the island in Act One, and they're like, "Oh, a samurai's here." I thought all of the samurai died. So that's part of why you're called ghost as well, is because people thought like. All of them were wiped out. So that's Thought part of where dead, that yeah. moniker also comes from. Yeah. That actually makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah. But as for your yeah, second question, who... I, yeah, I think what, and if I rem- this part I don't remember super well. If memory serves, I believe Yuna and um, him were discussing about stuff because Shimura was basically like, you know, quit using these tactics. We're going to do this honorable way, like Rich said earlier. And then he was like, um, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I need to figure out alternative ways to win here. Um, and if we just go straight into charging in, um, we're not going to win. And so basically I think she was like, look for an alternative way to win this. And so when he went to get his armor, um, the option kind of presented this itself. Rat poison that Yuriko used to use, and he basically like the idea is to have her teach him how to harvest that and make it in doses large enough to affect humans. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. exactly right. Um. Yeah. It was. It was weird. Yeah. Okay. I liked the scene where you get, we. 
I liked the scene where you got um, the armor because uh, it was a, it was a nice scene of seeing him like the mask fall on the floor and you do finally get to see some emotion from him. Um, so I thought that was I thought that was well done and I was excited to get that armor. It it was a little abrupt getting the having him just sort of go right into the the poison using because I mean I never really used the poison darts but it just seemed like it was kind of oh fast. I used the hell out of them. Um, I used so, them a ton. Yeah, I, what I'm learning is that, like, if you if you just mainline the story, it's it's just like a lot of stuff feels cut out. But yeah, it was fine. Um, you know, you 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 go get the. the po- I was just trying. To, so for me, because it, that was a big thing for him becoming more dishonorable was getting the poison. I was trying to figure out. I would have been interested as a player to get more on, like. I wanted them to show me more of like the process of him fighting with that internally, that struggle of, of not wanting to become dishonorable. Cause if you just go through the main storyline, he's like, Oh, I shouldn't really be doing this, but here's uh some poison reads. So it was just a little abrupt, but yeah, it, unfortunately, yeah. Main story. Yes. It's a little abrupt side story stuff. Like you get a lot of context with that. Um, one of the things that unfortunately you didn't get to experience Morgan that, um, hopefully it'll entice you more hearing Rich and I talk about it is as you do some more of these missions with uh, Yuriko, she starts to go a little bit senile. Like she starts referring to you as your father or her son. And yeah, like she, she catches herself making mistakes and you start to realize this woman actually isn't as healthy as she's been leading on. Like she's been like, I've been taking care of the, uh, Sakai estate this entire time and you can like she's just you know she's hurting and um she gets lost and you have to go find her and you eventually find her in this beautiful area um and then she wants to go see the sunrise one last time and so you take her to um this mountainside and you guys basically just watch the sunrise together and at this point she's like really deteriorated and she's referring to you as your father and she like her vision is going and she just asks you to describe the sunrise to her and like it's one of those things where you're as you get closer to where you're supposed to press the button the little semicircle glowing like hovers in on that area and so you're looking at this beautiful landscape as the sunrise or as the sun is coming up about to rise and you're just describing everything to her and she's kind of reflecting on it and how it reflects to her life and then um Jin goes to say something to her and she's just you know her head's just nodded um downwards and she's just passed and then basically you bury her um on top of that mountainside and it's it's it was such an important that sounds great why wouldn't you put develop- that in the store i don't understand that it's sounds a really awesome. great moment it really is it is it's so, so good frustrating. Be, be, and i can understand that it's so great because it makes you more invested in Jin as a character and you can see like the solemnity of the character you can see the you can see nostalgia in the character as he talks with uh, Yuriko throughout the missions. You can see um, guilt as you guys were and kind of talking about. He doesn't know his father as well as he'd like. Like from someone who helped to raise him, like someone he clearly respects and looks up to and 
thinks of as this wiser elder. He, he's looking for guidance in a way, like almost, especially with the poison. I almost feel like he was looking for some sort of acceptance from Yuriko that he was employing these tactics. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You get so much context with Jin, and yeah, I. I think I think that a lot of this stuff was kind of barred from the main game because it would have been like, oh, this is like a 40-hour game for the story. Um, and maybe they were trying to keep it shorter because that's kind of where gaming... Like, some people have said that gaming's, games have been getting longer and longer recently, which I think is partially true. But I still think, I still think that because of attention spans and whatnot... Um, there are a lot of games that are trying to stay shorter, so I think that was probably the case in this. But yeah, there there's some side missions that me as a person, like you know, and Rich, same thing. That when you get an open world game, you want to do all the side missions. But I felt like some of the game, the missions in this game that were considered side missions, such as the Yuriko line, definitely shouldn't have been kept as a side mission because it's so affecting, and it's one of those cinematic moments. I think Morgan, you would have loved. You should actually go watch. If you're not going to play through it, just go watch that sequence on on, on YouTube. Because actually, a few days ago, I just went back and watched it watched it again just to watch it because I love that sequence so much in the game. It's so well done. Strange. They made some really just strange choices. That is odd. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate that you didn't get to experience it because I think some some of the side stuff, especially like with Ryuzo and uh, Yuriko, because I think you would have been more drawn into Jin as a character as a result. I think so. And that's where a lot of the emotion actually comes from as well. So you understand it a lot more. But Yeah, uh, well, that's the weird okay. thing because there's a lot of... No, I'll get to talk about this later. Go ahead. We get weird time. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to the next little section really quickly. Um, Jin left early in the night to confront his former childhood friends, or his childhood friend, Rizo. Instead, he and Taka were captured by the Mongols and brought before Kotun. Kotun demanded that Jin surrender. And of course, he refused. Kotun offered Taka his life in exchange for killing Jin. Kotun throws down a sword at Taka's feet, asks him to take it up, and stab Jin. Taka attempted to turn the blade on Kotun, but was instead beheaded in an emotionally charged scene. Here's a quick and easy question to get some input here. On a scale of 1 to 10, how sad was this scene for you and why, Morgan? A 5, I guess? Um, I, mean, Taka, <laughs> I guess? <laughs> If you, I mean, it's not that I thought the scene was well done, like, and it was brutal to watch him get beheaded. But again, if you don't, if you're just main doing the story content, like they focus more on Yuna than Taka. Um, even the one sequence that I thought they were gonna have a that pretty interesting conversation where Taka's on the roof and he's telling you that about how he's scared he gets and stuff, um, was just sort of like a throwaway sort of cutscene. Whereas like Yuna, you sit down, you have like drinks and all that. I feel like they, if you just do the story content, I don't know if it's any different in the side content, but they mostly focus on Yuna. So I just didn't feel like I had a good sense of Taka, except that he was just sort of a goofball who wanted to be a fighter, even though he probably wasn't particularly great at it. And, um, but they're mostly using his death as a vessel for, um, changing Yuna's storyline, which is fine. And, and I thought this scene, 
I thought they did a good job of the scene. I mean, it mostly just evolved into another combat sequence, but I thought they I thought they handled it well. Other than like, I just didn't care that much about Taka. Did you guys care a lot about Taka as a character? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, um, well, I just feel like a heartless asshole. Well, <laughs> you, you said that like you felt is he was mostly mostly like a foil for Yuna's storyline, like to get her further invested. But I felt like if anything, it was on par with Jin being emotionally affected because throughout most of the game, he doesn't show a lot of emotion um, up until this point. And he sees Taka die. And like, that is the first raw, like pure raw emotion he shows. Like even when uh, Ryuzo defected, like he showed some emotion, but he still held some of that in. He still kept some of that samurai stoicism. But when he sees Taka die, his friend, this, this kid that he rescued that, you know, has confided and, confessed in him that him and Yuna had a difficult upbringing. Uh, there's some side missions there that are really good. Uh, Yuna side missions are really good. Uh, you learn that basically that her and Taka were in this, this camp. They were basically sold to this camp and they had to, they had to escape and you learn a lot about them. And so you really actually become invested in Taka as a character and as a person. And you realize that Taka has kind of been the one who's always been looked after by his sister. And now by Jin, he just wants to feel like he can contribute on his own. And then when he, when he like his first chance to actually do that and he gets beheaded and all he was trying to do was help the cause. And Jin feels guilty because he was like, yeah, you know what? We should be fine. You can come along. He had a choice to make, and he chose to let Taka come along, and Taka's reward was getting killed. And so Jin just shows this raw, visceral emotion for the first time in the game, and I was like, damn, like, th- like this is obviously going to be the cattle, the, like, the, the uh, struck match, you know, so to speak, that's going to lead Jin into, you know accepting the path he's going down like up until this point he's been wrestling with it that moment that that happens he accepts it he's like i'm not going back from from this point forward like the path i'm on is the path i'm on and so i felt like it was equally as affecting for Jin. uh rich go ahead and um yeah give some additional input there i feel like i'm talking a bunch i apologize i feel like we're we're pretty much on the same page there they they do a lot to sort of flesh talk out via yuna's uh side missions where i i feel like and they they go on to sort of elaborate on this is like taka like not to say other characters don't but he was like this first example of this sort of optimistic kid who 100 percent believed in you and was ready to follow you into whatever was going to happen to help you liberate things. And he is so close to, you know, freedom. Yuna and him were supposed to move on and have this new life where they could get away from all of this in the mainland. And then he's like, you know, one choice and everything is just kind of cut short for him. And he is sort of the martyr um, for jin committing to the path he's now on and and going forward by any means necessary to destroy the con yeah yeah i i love that sequence like when taka was beheaded and like the kotun or kotun is holding his head and just fucking just tosses it lazily aside 
I was like, Jesus Christ, I hate, the, I hate the, I hate quotes and cons so much. And I, I, I really think that that was a great job of making you hate him. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to say. Like that sequence made me hate, uh, quotes and cons. I thought he seemed like, like had nice that not happened, I wouldn't have felt as much vehemence towards that character. And I think that was necessary. I love, I love Kotun Khan as a villain because he's so easy to hate and he's well-written. And so. Yeah, I just thought that whole sequence was super important. Yeah, he's evil, but he's not mustache twirlingly evil. Uh, right, I, I exactly. Think I, yeah, he's he's a great villain. Yeah, like there, there's a there, like he feels like a genuine villain. Like he doesn't feel like this l- larger than life thing, which is what you mean by mustaching twirl, mustachey twirling. And yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. So, yeah, I, um, Rich, on a scale of one to ten, how sad were you? I'm gonna put myself at a solid, a solid eight. Yeah, I think I'd be right there with you. Maybe even a nine at that. No, I'll leave it at an eight. Yeah, eight's good. Eight's good because something much sadder happens later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, let's let's progress forward. Um, we're almost out of Act Two. Jin lost control Great. of his emotions and vowed to kill Kotun. Yuna infiltrated and rescued Jin, and she witnessed her brother's lifeless body. After burying him, the Shogun's reinforcements arrived, and Lord Shimura led his assault upon the castle, pushing the Mongols into the inner keep. Kotun revealed an unusual and deadly tactic, filling horse carriages with oils to be lit on fire, exploding the bridge between the outer and inner keep, and killing many samurai. After a disagreement with Lord Shimura, Jin decided to infiltrate the inner keep and poison the Mongols via their food and drink. Successfully poisoning the Mongols, Jim confronted Ryuzo again, but this time killed him. Jin found that Kotun has fled the castle again, continuing his campaign further north. Lord Shimura is enraged with Jin's action and asks him to blame his actions on Yuna in order to be spared the Shogun's wrath and inevitable calls for death. Jin refuses and fully embraces that he is the ghost. This question is a two-parter, but let's take each part one at a time. Jin and Shimura's disagreement finally boils over at this moment as we see them completely at odds, despite their similar goal. Were either of them completely right? Did you fully agree with either of their stances? Rich. Uh, I think it's really easy at this point, um, to be fully on board with Jin. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's something to, like, the idea of Shimura being, like, so set in, you know, these, these are the ways we, we do things, these are the ways we're going to continue to do things, but it's, like, Jin kind of gets in an uproar at that point about, like, look, you clearly, like, you're willing to let people die, we don't have to do that. There's no reason to do that um, just because you think the tactics are underhanded. Like, the Mongols are clearly not going to be kind about this. They're not playing by the same set of rules we are, and so we have to adapt how we handle things uh, going forward. And I, I think it's easy to... I didn't find myself really thinking on terms with Shimura at any point here. It just it didn't seem reasonable. 
I think I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I kind of wrote this question as kind of a loaded question, so it, I don't think it's a very difficult question to answer. Um, no. Morgan, how did you how did you feel? Did you agree with either of their stances completely? Um, do you feel like any of them, either one of them, were completely right? I mean, no, I mean, first of all, I just want to say that the poisoning scene was actually pretty comical. I'm sure you guys probably got a laugh at that too, because like everyone, uh, po- everyone died. Somebody at the same time, poisoned the water hole. <laughs> I like the idea that somehow they all drank it at the exact same time and fell over at the exact moment. Which, when you're actually, well, don't they actually do like a cheers be- thing? Like the time? No, up, it's just. Or like, did I fabricate that in my just- brain? Yeah, you fabricated that. They just all died at the same time, which only made me laugh because, like, in reality, like, one or two people would drink it and they'd start vomiting and then everyone would be like, okay, so you probably shouldn't drink that. I think the milk's bad. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, Morgan is right here in that, A, it's not like they're cheersing, and B, everybody's anatomy and physiology is a little bit different. So, like, even if they did drink it at the exact same time, some of them are going to be affected quicker than the others. But, hey, suspension of disbelief. It was funny. Yeah, it like was you need funny. to just kind of nice go with little... it to let the moment happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's art, Morgan. You know, it's so high art. Um, no, but the the duel with Ryuza was was pretty cool. And you know, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm conflicted on the choice they give you as a player because I played as an honorable samurai. I never murdered anyone from behind. Uh, I mean, I generally would just run in, and mostly because I was just trying to get through the game. But I would just face everyone head on. So like. I was still committed to being an honorable samurai at that point. Other than poisoning the shit, well, I had no. Really I mean, I think bad, beyond but, that, it's the use um, of like the knives and stuff. Like, I think they do a good job sometimes when you're freeing people. How they'll note like you don't stay in stance, you don't face targets one on one. It's the whole idea of like your fight. Like they note like you fought like a demon. Like you're fighting like no holds bar, like a monster. I it's it's not a big deal. It's just like um, I knew it was going to turn into more of a you were going to go more down the path of trying to do more of that stuff. Of course. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to side know, with uh, Shimura. I'm really curious about this, actually, because the developers came out and said this at some point. The more you lean towards ghost mechanics, like stealth and stuff, it affects the weather in-game. Uh, if you are using a lot more stealth and killing people from behind, thunderstorms are more frequent. And by the oh, end wow. of the game, my game, like, in the third act, it was, like, thunderstorms all the time for me. Yeah, same, same. I didn't even think yeah, about see, that. I wanted to feel like a piece of shit by the end. I wanted to feel like I was the most dishonorable. But then, but, and honestly, once I realized they were going to make me be dishonorable, I was like, all right, I'm going to lean into this. When Steer did you guys the get the cutscene? When did you guys get the cutscene where you kill someone and then it's like a quick flashback to your childhood? Almost immediately. And it's like, into the, like with some, <laughs> you were bad. At some dude. point you in Act 1. People. Dude, I got yeah, it like, like at the very end. <laughs> like I remember, I remember when you first get the ability to assassinate because I, when I first started the game and I heard the Assassin's Creed comparisons from you guys, I'm like, why can't I assassinate people yet? And then the second I get it, it and then they display that large cutscene where um, Shimura and a younger Jin talk about not assassinating people. I was like, fuck this! I'm assassinating people the second I get this ability. Like, I, I no think chance. it was like. The first side quest I did after that mission where they teach you how to stealth assassinate people is where I got the flashback. Well, no, you're talking but I, about, no, Morgan. I think there's another. 
I think there's no. Another... I know. I know well, the one okay. you're talking about. Uh, the one that comes later, and I got it during a side mission, like right after that first mission where they introduced oh. stealth assassinations. I got it multiple times okay, throughout. Well, yeah, and it's strange because it's almost identical to the first one, and... except much quicker. Yeah, yeah, it's faster. Yeah. But yeah, which I I yeah. actually thought it was like the last five seconds of that just cut and just replayed again. Like, just Basically. a quick reminder, hey, you're not... I was doing an air assassination when it kicked in. Yeah, I was mid-air. Me too. Mid-air. Me too. And it's like... I, and it's just a strange time for a flashback. I, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was not hiding in the shadows. This guy saw me. I was jumping in his face. I leapt off a bridge uh, at this funny. motherfucker. <laughs> that shit's so funny. Yeah. It was that mission yeah. where the archers are but... ambushing people from beneath that uh, suspension bridge is where I got it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, upon the rocks. Yeah, is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I got it when you behead the guy and get the ghost thing at the end of Act Two. <laughs> oh, okay. It's it's really telling that you could behead people by the time you got that. <laughs> I was like, oh, this ghost thing. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Just I was just curious. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I'll be really brief. I think that um. Obviously, I think there's some value, and this goes into much deep, deeper um, concepts here than I think we need to go about this particular topic. But I think there is some value to kind of sticking to your core principles when it's applicable. And I, I understood what Shimura's point was. Like, generations have done this, and if we resort to Mongol tactics, we lose our way. We lose who we are. We lose our identity. But at the same time, I think I sided a lot more with Jin as I think most people would because it's like what what good are those traditions what are what good are those principles if there's nobody to you know lead them to follow them like it doesn't matter like if you lose the people that are going to be doing these traditions that that are following these codes then there the the code doesn't fucking matter at that point because everybody's dead so um, I saw. I, I could understand and I could empathize with what Lord Shimura was attempting to uphold, and also he wanted to protect Jin from the Shogun, as we're going to learn a little bit later. But yeah, I um, yeah, I was largely in Jin's camp. I, I think that's the natural way you're supposed to handle that. So, I there there was one really cool scene. It was a little short, and I, I think they probably could have dragged it out and like really added some really epic like. Oh, music to it, but it was basically where um, the Khan he lights he, he lights all those horses on fire and, yeah, and they send yeah, them yeah. across the bridge, and you have to basically just shoot them to blow them up before they get to you, and you lose like a bunch. I guess you know they're just losing a bunch of people in the process. I like the idea of seeing some of the Khan's tactics. Um, so it was, it was pretty short, but I thought it was a cool idea, cool scene. I I love that. It, like when I was talking with you guys on the Chompcast last week about the the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers uh, parallel, that definitely reminded me of the uh, the Urukai running towards um, Helm's Deep outer outer wall, and like with the uh, with all the bomb stuff put in place, it reminded me very much of that. Um, but yeah, I loved that sequence. It was very epic because you feel very frantic. You're like you're trying to shoot these horses and like. Because you feel so anxious. I I was missing. I was like, I can't hit these fucking horses. I'm like, I'm trying to hit these horses. And eventually, you know, like, 
that what happens is the bridge blows up when you are successful. But yeah, it was a very well done sequence. I like that sequence a lot. I'm glad you brought delved into that a little bit deeper. But uh, the second part of this question is, do you think Jin was justified in using tactics that were considered dishonorable by the samurai code to help win the war despite swearing his honor to that code? What do you think, Rich? Fuck yeah. <laughs> honor codes are stupid. <laughs> And they're for nerds. <laughs> for nerds. Morgan, what do you think? I I think that it's a really interesting idea. It's almost like the the Last of Us Two thing. Where Nerd. Trying to get you to do, trying to get you to do something you maybe don't want to do as a player. I wish they would have just really delved into. You didn't want to do that. That process of 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 him becoming because I like the idea a lot of him becoming this fighting these using these dishonorable tactics because it's the only way. Um, and I think that, and, and I think they did a fine, I think that it was fine how they did it, but like, I just think that was a really interesting thing. I wish they would have delved into more, but yeah, I think there's an, that's the whole crux of the story really is, is him having to become dishonorable as a sort of means of desperation. I, I mean, I think it's about looking past the honor. It's like about you evolve or you get killed. Like, the idea of them limiting themselves with this rule set is like silly when you get down to it. It's like, you know, we're, we're at war here. They're not going to play by the same rules we lay out. That's just not the way the world but works. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think it's silly. I mean, that's their whole life was based around. No, no, I understand that. that. I'm saying that, the conceit of not being able to, no, you said it's silly. I, no, I'm I just know, saying, let me finish. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's fucking silly. No, Take um, him super literal, but you said it, rich. You said it. <laughs> you said. But, like, the idea of, like, it's obvious in hindsight. Obviously, things, like, historically are never that obvious. Um, Where it's like, yeah, you need to adapt or move on. Like, it's the same idea of, like, think of, like, the French and Indian War in the Americas. Like, guerrilla tactics started to be implemented. Like, I can't even remember who it is. There's a comedian from years ago who has a great bit about this. Where they're like, can you imagine, like, being a Native American in the French and Indian War? Like leaning out from behind a tree and being like, "They're all in a straight line." What the fuck are they doing? Is that is that fair? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's something I mentioned while you were not in a... the bathroom. Is that bas- basically I said that samurai code doesn't matter if there are no living people to um, uphold that code. Also, in more of a historical note, the Bushido Code isn't really so much that. It was adapted by the West to kind of like romanticize it and make it more like the code of chivalry. Uh, no, yeah, for sure. But that's for me, sure. besides the yeah. point. Well, yeah, and I wish it maybe Jin. I think would have been an interesting character for me to get more internal monologue. Like, I'd like to know what Jin is thinking because he's so stoic and quite. Like, what is Jin thinking? What is he thinking? Wonder where I can get I a think that's... burger after this. <laughs> I want a little like um uh what is it internalization narration. That's what I <laughs> so want. So you want, I want Fred Savage? Okay, narr- I'll take a note. I want there. Fred Savage. You want narration. Fred Savage? <laughs> but I, this is not a criticism, but like a little narrative dissonance is in everything, even the best stuff. But I did think it was funny because I was like, dude, I just killed a hundred guys back there with no problem. So like, I think we're fine. We don't need to poison anyone. <laughs> I can kill all these guys. It's not. It's not an issue. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah. Games. Well. 
I, I think what's I think you have a good point there, and I think that speaks more to you as a person, Morgan, because uh, The Last of Us 2, I think, really delves so much more into why these characters are making the decisions that they make. And I think that's the the benefit of that game having a sequel is that they could delve into that deeper. Obviously, the first game, I don't think, goes into as much detail um, as the second one does into building those characters up more. Um, speaking of, like, Ellie, I should be saying. Not Joel, but with this game, psychological turmoil. Yeah, you're yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Whereas, why not Joel? Does something um, happen to Joel? He is alive and well. Uh, but in this Thug game, like they're not delving into what you were looking for, Morgan. It was more about the descent and why that happens, not the psychology behind it, not the, um, not the reflection on that and it just just the actual event happening and i think that kind of speaks to you as a person obviously you're going to like the last of us too because they do delve into that more heavily and at this game they don't and i think that's interesting to look at because i would be curious to see if people who liked the last of us too a lot let they you know they could say oh i liked ghost of tsushima just as much um as last of us who are if majority of people would be like oh i didn't like it as much or a lot of the people who like ghost of tsushima a lot would say oh i like this a lot more than last of us too because they're both they're both they have a very uh pertinent or not pertinent prominent revenge story contained within the whole whole game but they explore two different aspects of that and so i'd be curious to see if people who loved one game liked the other game as much or if there's like a clear-cut winner for one or the other and i i wonder like further if that has to do with the way the story was told if that makes sense yeah, I like the I like the focus on characters. I like to more than like large scale stuff. I like to see what people are thinking, what they're going through. So you're you're probably right there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, let's move on to the next section. It's a very short section. Jin was arrested, but he escaped when Yuna learned of Kotun's whereabouts. During the process of escaping, Jin's horse, whatever you named him, was shot no. four times. And killed, leading him away from danger. Uh, this was the saddest part of the game for me. It was very, very sad. Oh, Josh is going to make a bad joke. Well, Don't before it, he does, before he does, may we please have four seconds of silence for our incredible friend who died in battle? Okay, Josh, go ahead and make your joke. I miss you, Nobu. <laughs> It's not going to be appropriate. I guarantee you can't say it out loud knowing Josh. <laughs> What's the was, matter? Uh, Horse we can see him tongue? internally wrestling with whether or not he wanted to say the joke. Uh-huh. I think I know where he's going with it, and it's pretty fucked up, but he should do it. Hmm. Um, Speak now or forever hold your no, peace. No, no, I'm not Does going to. Does that do with current events, I think Josh? he's clearly not going to say it. No, I'm not, no, it's not happening. Okay. 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 Tell tease. tell us about it after the podcast. Somebody uh-huh. poisoned the water. Hole. Yeah, after. After. <laughs> yeah. So did you okay. get horse I yeah. That was a really beautiful scene with the horse slowly dying. I mean, I didn't really Can give I a shit what, about the horse, wh- but fuck you. 
Um, can I ask what horses you guys had? What were what do they look like and what were their names? Yeah. 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 Um my horse's name was Sora. He was um he was a black mare and he was a beautiful guy and I miss him very much. I have questions. Sawyer? Okay. Like lost? There were, that, was, that was intentional, right? Is, is that, was, was, that a, was that a thing? What? He was a black mare. You're sure? <laughs> that I, I, you know, as I was saying it, I was like, I hope Josh doesn't call me out on this. <laughs> 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 as I said, I was like, please don't say anything. Please don't say anything. Please don't say anything. Yeah, it, was an, it was a slip, okay. and I was hoping you weren't going to say anything. But it, go ahead. <laughs> give me shit. We give Morgan shit all the time. Give me shit. I deserve it. <laughs> Let me have it. That was when I was just going to go. Let's hear about the my man. My horsey was a white horsey. And his name was Nobu. Oh, Nobu. I mean, I don't know what you guys are talking about. There's only one horse. I've only had one horse the whole game. I don't you know get a second a horse, name. even. My second horse was a black horse named Kage. When did you Mine get a was a gray horse? one named did Kage. Did you finish the game or not? I, oh, oh, I'm sorry. You're talking about after your horse dies. Yeah. yeah. Well, I thought Shay was talking about, like, you were like, what sort of horse did you have? Like, there was some sort yeah, of variety um, of horses. There was. Have, There's. Three you pick from and you name them. Yeah, white horse, brown horse, black horse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which the, is exactly what's... how we both answered the question. I just, I thought you made it sound like it was some exciting thing. Like there was other horses. I was thinking from the way you framed that there was other horses in the game you could find through like side quests or something. No, that were like you bond. We're with just your paying horse. honor and respect to our fallen comrades here. That's all this is about. I know it's always sad when horses die. That's true. And you can quote him on that. Should have pulled the arrows out, jerk. Just let the arrows sit in his asshole. You're not supposed to pull arrows out. It does more damage. (laughs) That's how they're... I know, I know, I know. You're a monster. It's hard to watch. We're going to move on, because you're not taking this seriously at all. That was a... That was a... That was a... You're making a mockery of scene. There was a very, like... Kind of his song over top and the seasons. It was like a montage of death. I was like, "Where has this been the whole game? This is great." Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, that sequence was amazing. The end of Act Two. It was. Un- you're right. It was unlike anything in the game up to that point. And uh, yeah, I love the cinematography in that. Like where it's like side panning and the horse is kind of just slowly trotting along. Yeah, yeah. loved that sequence. It's like way pulled back. Yeah, it was cool. Very well done. Yeah. So, as Jin continued to uproot the Mongol invasion while tracking Kotun, he learned that the Mongol began to use his own poison tactics against his people. Jin gathered his allies together one last time and assaulted Kotun's final stronghold at Port Izumi. He managed to enter the port, and an epic battle between Jin and Kotun ended, with Kotun bleeding under Jin's blade until he died. So, I actually wanted to take this moment to give you guys a little bit of information. Um, Because after playing the game, I did some research on Japanese history as I was curious if real people were used in this game. While the people and some of the events are inspired by true stories, such as using Mongol tactics or Kublai Kublai Khan, the grandson of Genghis Khan, um, who Kotun is based upon, 
Ghost of Tsushima is a fictional reimagining. Uh, actually, when Kubai, Kublai Khan went to Tsushima Island, the Mongol excursion was complete, obliterating Tsushima's forces. Sucker Punch Studios chose not to use real characters or depict exactly what happened to Tsushima Island because after speaking with people, they felt that it would be cultural appropriation. However, Sucker Punch did take multiple trips out to Tsushima and met with local historians and artisans to capture the scenery and learn about the impact of the real Mongol invasion to that area. So clearly the developers created this game out of love as they put so much into this game, historically speaking. Does hearing how much time and effort that they put into research and sociocultural issues while making this game affect your opinion of it all, Josh? Um... I mean, no, I mean, it, it was, it was, I kind of, I expect historical fiction to do its homework. Yeah. At this point, I, I, I'm not sure. Like, I, I kind of like the whole, oh, it's set here, but like none of these characters are named. So it's, or, or, or named after actual people for the most part, just because it's, it's easier to. Imagine it as a a thing that happened here or or whatever it's it's easier to um think of it as like an alternate history sort of a thing or or like a like a, a side story that was never never told um i i whenever you start running into named characters um like named famous characters it's it's always seems a little bit strange to me so i kind of i prefer this approach because it's i mean the the most obvious example is obviously gonna be like assassin's creed and it's always weird running into famous people and you're like oh great it's it's time for the down brown section um like what insane thing is this person supposedly going to do um in a conspiracy or something like that um and i i just i think it works better when you don't have that sort of baggage with it yeah um i mean yeah i i I can see your point about like expecting them to do history or their homework on the history and whatnot, but I just found it really interesting that they chose to opt out of like really depicting some of these events because they didn't want to um, breach using like any kind of cultural appropriation. I really found that interest interesting that they like they spoke with people and they they really wanted to ensure that they weren't encroaching on that territory. You know, I mean, I kind of think that's a little ridiculous because, like, it if you want to depict a war or whatever, I think for the story they wanted to tell, it would be rewriting a war, which would be really awkward. Um, 
you know, anytime you go do historical fiction and rewrite who won in a situation, um, you you, you kind of need to have a really good reason why. And uh, right, I I don't Kinda feel like, like the story they were telling here like would have been they're, they're... it would have benefited at all by them hmm. actually using, you know, um, real characters and rewriting how that went um i think it i think it worked better to just have them be uh you know all fictional characters um i think it, i think it worked better yeah okay that's fair i can i can understand that analysis uh morgan how did you like after hearing all of that how do how do you feel about the game do you feel like that's um in made it a little bit more endearing to you at all or anything of that nature I get, first of all, I have to commend you, Shay, because this is a totally uh, a Morgan thing that you did, and I'm very proud of you. Because um, I don't think oh, that I've no, ever no. heard you bring up the bring up the developers of a game in one of these shows, and then tell me that it was a labor of love. So, in the phrasing of the question, you're basically telling me how hard they work and how much they loved it, um, which is totally something I would do. So, congratulations. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I guess I, mean, I, I guess I, I don't I, get I just, any credit for what I do here. Everything I do is under under the tutelage of Morgan Samson Barnes. No, I mean like that's that's a total move that I would do. Guys, you look how hard they worked on this game, and you know they loved making it, and it was a true labor of love. You're you're um, right. That no, isn't very much you think. <laughs> uh, I honestly, I, yeah, I take that stuff for granted. I think a little bit because <laughs> uh, it's a compliment of anything. Uh, I take that stuff a little bit for granted because I just assume everyone, you know, most develop studios who make these sort of games work very hard on making it historically accurate. So I presume a lot of those things are historically accurate. So it's cool to hear. But, yeah, maybe I give them too much credit. But I just I guess I just assume those things are people work very hard on those. Um, Other than the haiku thing, which was sort of a fun joke we had, it seems like they they did a good job. Yeah. That was kind of that's kind of funny when you guys mentioned that because I didn't even think about that at the time. Like how like it's not that haikus weren't invented during that time, just the term haiku was not around. So yeah, it is kind of funny. But um, Rich, hearing that, did it affect? Does it affect your opinion of the game at all, or is um of the game same? itself not really? Like I, I mean, what I'll, I'll say briefly is like like what Josh said. Like at this point, you kind of expect. Uh, people writing historical fiction to do their homework. Uh, I think it speaks well of the studio for, you know, going the extra mile to kind of make sure they were paying proper and respectful attention to details and things like that. Um, but it doesn't really change my opinion of the product at in any... the, the game itself at any okay. point. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I, I just found it really interesting, and I wanted a way to work in the fact that they like they actually traveled to the island and they spoke with lots of people. I found that really fascinating, just in my research. So I wanted to work that into totally. the show. Okay, good news for you guys. We are on the final stretch here. With Jin having killed Kotun, the Mongol invasion lost its momentum, and the samurai or samurai finally started to gain ground. Jin was summoned by Lord Shimura who told him that the Shogun demanded the head of the ghost, who they saw as a threat to the stability of Tsushima. 
In response, Shimura disbanded the Sakai clan and ordered Jin's or Jin's. Why did I say Jim? Jin's execution. They both recount what they had lost in the war, and they battle each other. Jin emerged as the victor. The player has the option of sparing Lord Shimura, dishonoring him but keeping him alive, or killing Shimura, giving him a warrior's death. After this choice is made, Jin is seen at the end of the game living his life on the run as the ghost of Tsushima. And there it is, guys. That's the end of the game. So, my question, uh, Josh, obviously this isn't going to be applicable to you, um, but I have an interesting workaround. Morgan, what choice did you make at the end, and why did you make that choice? Well, I killed him, um, of course. I mean, the thing is, he if he was an honorable samurai to the end, he would have wanted to die. I felt that's the way I felt. I felt like that was pretty pretty clear cut to me. I mean, he if by sparing him, I think it's just sort of a reflection of something he wouldn't want me to do. So um, I just followed through, and I felt like that was a good way to send him out. And plus, he tried to kill me. But I felt like it was something he would have wanted, so I killed him. That's fair. That's fair. Rich, what choice did you make at the end, and why did you make that choice? Um, I made the same decision as Morgan. Uh, for I know I talked about this with you privately. For, for basically the same reason. I, I totally mirror what Morgan said on that. He is this man who is built up to you as this honor-bound samurai, and it feels like it would be disrespectful to his values to uh, spare his life after that. Like, you know, he that's the way he views the world. He lost. He's, his life is forfeit. Yeah, that's fair. Josh, what choice, had you finished the game, would you have made? <laughs> and that's not like that's not like an underhanded jab, I promise. I'm just, I, I want to make it clear. You would have turned um, off this the my... PlayStation. Um... If you cared enough. Now that is an underhanded. I don't even know if I care at that point. I mean, it just seems (laughs) like honestly at that point, uh, objectively, I don't see a difference in it. That's fair. As far as like what it actually ends up meaning, um, other than you know sparing them and. Letting him go back to the, uh, to get, you know, beheaded by somebody else or forced to kill himself, which is probably what would have happened otherwise. So, like, yeah. Why give you the choice is the question. Like, I I feel like he's dead either way. Um, just a matter of by whose hand. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about like sequel wise. So I, I don't know. Like, I almost feel like I would okay. have let him, you know, at that point since since he caused you so much grief at the end. I would have kind of forced him to head back with his tail between his legs and give the bad <laughs> news, so he could head. at that point have to, you know, put his honor to the test there and deal with the consequences of having fucked up so badly yeah he'd probably kill himself that's fair yeah no that's exactly so that's kind of what i was thinking since none of us played down that since none of us played that storyline 
we can't we can't really know and i should have looked that up before the show and i apologize to the listeners i don't know what ha- if he ends up killing himself at the end if you don't kill him um i should have looked that up but it's going to be interesting the implication for a sequel if he doesn't kill himself at the end of the first game because if he's alive in yours what happens and in the sequel if i kind it does of assume happen. he dies at the end of both just to to wrap that up nicely either way but yeah yeah um, to, to just to address that problem but yeah i don't know i kind of yeah. i feel like having him have to go deal with those consequences himself is just kind of where i'd be at headspace wise I think so. I think that's fair. I think if well, I could say one really brief thing, Shay, and then yeah, I, go for I, I, I'm sorry, I, do, I just have to interject with this thing, just because I have been to some degree critical, and it um, sounds that way. Can I, if I, before you go on with that, Morgan, I just looked it up just to be. If you spare him, it doesn't really show you his fate. <laughs> um, okay. Like, it, it regardless of that, Jin is now on the run as the ghost of Tsushima, but it doesn't really show you what Shimura's fate is. Okay. It would okay. that would be cool if you like could run into him after that. No, I like the idea that we all just keep interrupting each other. Um, if I, could, I was, no, I was uh, thinking uh, about no, doing no, that. No, if if I could interrupt. Oh. <laughs> uh, I was just gonna try to say something nice in that, that. At the end of the game, you never felt like Jin had any sort of hatred or anything for, uh, for Shimura. Like it to me, it seemed like a pretty like even when they were fighting, like they were still having a conversation, like people that cared about. He was his father. He was they frustrated like father with him, not angry with him. That's more yeah, what it felt like. It didn't exactly. So I didn't feel like it would be within Jin's code as a person to do. I think they probably should have just let you kill him, uh, or just forced you to kill him. I don't really see if the benefit of the choice there um, to make but, you feel like you have agency in a space where you have none. Bingo. Yeah. Well, I th- I think that's a big part of it. I think part of it too is like, be. I think. For me, I saw it as a great choice because it kind of it was kind of like a nice hearkening to something like a Telltale game where you like there's granted Telltale like had legitimate consequences. But for me, it's like you have this moral choice and it's the only moral choice you really have in the game. And it's like, do I show this person that I love that, you know, we've had this kind of falling out? Do I do the right thing here by him or do I, you know, am I vindictive and say, you know what? Fuck it. You arrested me. You killed my horse. You pursued me. Um, you're on your own. Like, I like the moral choice there because you spend 40 to 50 hours if you do all of the side content getting to know all these characters. That's right, Rich. For Nobu! Um you you spend all this time getting to know these characters and to have that moral choice at the end of the game i thought was really really impactful for me it was like oh okay well jin isn't really isn't gonna, like he's going to have control of his life but like he's not going to have control of really anything else from this point forward like where he was in a position to help um thwart the oncoming mongol invasion at this point he's pretty much lost everything except um himself and the people who have stood by him and shimura was not one of those people and so i i don't know i thought the moral quandary there was super interesting i think there's a lot more analysis there um but i don't think we um are going to sit here for an hour and analyze that choice 
I don't think any of us have the Could desire to do that. Could you sit here for an hour and analyze that choice? I would. Yeah. I absolutely would, but I, I think I'd be alone here. I think I'd be talking to myself. But yeah, I could. If we I could, could reschedule it for another night. <laughs> That's an option. Okay. Well, I'll consider that. We'll, th- we'll think about it. Um, let's move to the next question. Which of the Allies' stories was your favorite to go through, and why? And I'm going to throw this to you first, Rich. I haven't thrown a question to you first for a while. This is, this is the part of the podcast I've actually been probably looking forward to the most. Uh, so I already know what your answer is, and that was one of my favorites as well, but, uh, I think you probably know where I'm going with this. Uh, Misako Adachi, Lady Misako, is my favorite of those side characters. Um, she has a really great arc about, uh, basically, not only are her sons who are serving as samurai, uh, killed on the beach that day, when she returns to her home after the Mongol invasion starts, she finds that her entire family has been slaughtered, that uh, somebody sold them out to the Mongols. The children, her, her, um, her daughters-in-law, uh, they, they, were, they were all slaughtered. So she, by the time you meet up with her in-game, she has buried her entire family and is hell-bent on figuring out who sold them out. Uh, basically, as the game goes on, she ends up discovering that it was actually her own sister who was jealous of, like, her status, um, who ended up, like, selling her out to the Mongols in order to try and form her own clan and, you know, steal all this from her. And it, it kind of culminates in you uh, entering Masako's sister's estate and uh, squaring off against her. It, the whole thing, it just feels like a lot of these B-stories do feel like their own little contained, like, B-movie plots. And and that one in particular, I just love her character as, like, this fierce older woman who is, like, done with everybody's bullshit. She's lost everything. She has nothing left to lose. And I, I just feel like her character growth is fantastic. I think Josh had a similar feeling. I think that was his favorite side um, character as well. Is that correct, Josh? Yeah, yeah. I liked, I liked how... Um, like, she had history with the family... Um, so a lot of her stuff is kind of about her perspective of his parents and kind of how she knew them with, you know, a lot of the dialogue between the two characters. Um, it's, it's getting to know, um, in a way it almost feels like getting to know his parents. Um, it's somebody you know, having this relationship with an older, an older person who kind of it's it's almost that sort of feeling it it um like or a fucking to crazy relative aunt. yeah yeah um which i don't i liked that as like a framing of you know a character who is just really interesting in her own right um as well through all of that yeah she is very well done and like to be honest with you, I did not see like hers was one of the shocking things. I did not see her sister being the culprit in that. Like I did not see that twist coming and it was, it was great. It was great to, uh, to like see the shock of that when you find out like it's my sister and it's like, fuck, this is some Jerry Springer shit. Let's get it on. No, I'm just kidding. Steve Wilco shit. 
A Jerry Springer reference. Wow. That, huh. <laughs> take me back. Morgan, stop trying to make this about you. Gentlemen. <laughs> you got a high from Josh, so I'm proud of you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I aspire to do that once an episode for Josh to make him say hi. Is he still alive? I don't look up Jerry Springer now. Yeah. So, Morgan, obviously you didn't delve too far. Goddamn, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Jerry Summer. You didn't delve too far into the side missions, but... Uh, you know, just what you did delve into, What who is the most compelling character to you and why? Like, if you were to go back now and spend some time getting to know one of those characters, who would you want to spend time getting to know? <laughs> well, now that I know, I won't, but it was it was the same one. It was I thought it was a far and away lady. Masa, Masako? Masako? How do you say it? Uh, I, um... <sighs> The thing is, I thought it was Masako, Masako, but um, it might have been Masako. I think Masako is actually a stress, like an American intonation type of stress, but I could be wrong. I think it's Masako. You're you're probably correct. I mean, I'm just pronouncing it with, you know, with that American inflection, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But just say (laughs) Adachi-sama. Just kidding. (laughs) You can say Lady Adachi, and that works. Probably would have been the same, yeah. If if I hadn't been kind of turned off by some of the other aspects of the uh, of the gameplay, but um, yeah, I she seemed like a strong character. I'm sure. Yeah, she that's... had a cool she cool look about her, and she chopped a guy up one time. I remember that. That's all I remember. Yeah, yeah. I she was a very strong character. I really liked uh, Sensei Ishikawa a lot. Um, he was a very strong character. I really enjoyed getting to see how his story developed into. Um, finding his former student uh, Tomoe and how that that storyline kind of concluded. It can conclude. It concluded in a very satisfying way, and it was exactly the way I expected. And it was it was good. But I definitely think my favorite was uh, Norio's storyline. I loved Norio as a character a lot because he was this he was this like he was this uh, contradiction. In the first place, he was this monk who was also a warrior. Now they existed; um, those the warrior monks existed in Japanese history, but obviously it's kind of a contradiction contradiction to uh, Shintoism and Buddhism. So it was it's kind of interesting to see that kind of play out. But also, um, you have this character who was kind of thrust into this leadership role and he didn't feel like he was ready and he was in the shadow of his brother who was just kind of this legendary warrior monk that everybody loved and respected and he took care of everybody and um basically Norio is going around trying to liberate these um these these temples and um trying to uh, basically get back artifacts and whatnot and then um this is this is going to be a spoiler for everybody here except rich um his brother enzo the one you like he talks about his brother enzo so much and other people during the side story talk about enzo and you go to this one temple to uh liberate it and then one of the uh one of the uh people come up to you like one of the temple workers and say says do not go in there you do not want to go in there and so Norio's like no i'm going in there and you guys push in there and you see enzo 
and his his um his arms have been chopped off at the elbows and his legs have been chopped off at the knees and his face is bloodied and bruised and swollen and basically Norio gets one final word with uh Enzo and it's it's so affecting like it, like it gave me chills watching that sequence and then Norio just goes fucking nuts and just starts decimating Mongols and basically you have to go rein him back in and uh you know, like that was that was the biggest twist in the game for me like I did not expect that um the way like it all unfolded was so well done and well paced like I loved Norio's story I loved him as a character trying to like come out of his brother's shadow to try to learn how to be a leader um outside of that and just needing guidance and then he gets that guidance but not obviously in the most favorable way and it was such an affecting story i loved like the twist and everything so good i loved norio's story a lot rich did you see that twist coming at all or no oh no not at all and i i do agree with you it is one of the least predictable stories for sure and just like yeah, that that whole thing with Enzo being alive and in the state he's in is fucking yeah. Did not see that dude, coming. It was brutal. It's the most brutal part of the game, dude. Like, it like it's not like it's not showing. Like it's showing him like kind of like twi- like twisting and turning and like kind of uncomfortably moving because he's about to die, and like sh- yeah. showing the, like the nubs moving and stuff. That's probably not the right word because it's more comical at that point. But like showing his his. <laughs> <laughs> his his Pinky. limbs like his his um yeah his dismembered limbs it, dude it was it's such a visceral scene in the game it really is so yeah uh, i i think every single character even kenji i love kenji's little story arc all of them like easily the side char- characters i'm trying in, to be good yeah all of their side content like for all those characters that end up helping you are amazing i love all of them so much so agreed yeah but um let's move on to the next section i wanted to make sure i gave love to those characters because they're all amazing and i wanted to give love to the writers because they did such a good job with those side characters such a good job um so was there anything in this game that took that you took away from it to kind of apply to your everyday life and i'm gonna do something a little bit unorthodox here i'm actually gonna go first because i kind of want to give you guys um an idea of what i'm talking about and this is something i wrote down during the game and it's something this is the this is the other thing i've really really been wanting to talk with you guys about and it's been so hard to not talk about it when i was playing this game like i I got some just like really good reminders of things like impermanence in life because talks about like there's so much talk about impermanence in this game. Obviously, it's largely about liberation and revenge, this story, but I feel like it touches on so many other things and that helps with like the hot springs reflections and the haikus. Impermanence was such an interesting concept, especially when you do the haiku about how, um, you know, tradition is such a big aspect of this game, like the Bushido code, the samurai way and how, while it's important, there is a beginning and an end to usefulness 
of the Bushido code. And we're seeing in this game the, the, that the usefulness is starting to give way. And it, it was interesting for me because like in my life, I I'm the type of person who holds on to things much longer than they should like positive or negative. Um, whether it's like a relationship or like staying stuck in one position in my life and just playing this through this game just gave me like just reinvigorated sense of reminding myself that obviously change is constant and impermanence is such a important aspect of our lives but the other thing that it reminded me of was this concept of mindfulness and what it really means because a lot of times when someone is trying to break into something like yoga or meditation the thing that they hear is it's you need to clear your mind you need to clear your mind of everything and just live in the moment and i like for me personally i used to think that's what meditation was when you sit down and you close your eyes and you sit in whatever position is most comfortable to you to meditate or however you perform that meditation you're supposed to just clear your mind completely and focus on your breathing and focus on like if you have a, a, a mantra like a word that centers you and that's all you're supposed to think about i used to think that's what meditation was and it can be that for some people but for me that's not what meditation is for for me and i think this is more the case for a lot of other people meditation is the ability to see the thoughts as they come in, recognize them, and then watch them as they leave. You know, be aware of these thoughts that you're having. You know, figuring out the route to where these thoughts are. And it was it was just such a good... <sighs> Josh, say that out loud! That's amazing! I, I wanted to break you first. No, but... No, oh, okay. truly. But my mantra for 2020 is... Fuck! <laughs> I think it's the mantra of everybody for 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mine's the wrestling catchphrase, green eggs and slam. There you go. Gonna catch on. <laughs> yeah. But, like, yeah, to, to wrap like this up really more. quick, because I know I'm going long-winded here, and I apologize. I... I just I I got some great reminders from this game that's actually applicable to my life. And a lot of times you play games to kind of escape from real from real life. And it was the first time in a really long time that I I got so much from a game that it's like I'm actually excited to go back into my life, my real life to see how I can apply these things to my everyday life. And it's rare that for me I've come across a game that kind of has that effect on me. So that's why I've been so excited to talk about this game with you guys. And I kind of wanted your guys' perspective on that. Like, not how I feel, but um, was there anything in the game that you took away from it that you could apply it to your everyday life? And I'll let whichever one of you guys wants to decide to go first. It's up to you guys. I will say that I, um, yeah, I'm jealous. I, yeah, it just for me, it was just felt like one of those games and I turned it off. I don't think I, I thought about it at all. So I feel very jealous. Um, I will say that, no, that's not true. When Jin got in the hot tub and I saw his ass, it made me realize that I do want to work on my ass more because he has a you nice You need to ass. do more squats and, so. and lunges. <laughs> and then I tried to do more squats, and my leg, you know, I still have issues from breaking it, and it was just a mess. So, you know, if thanks a lot, Sucker Punch. Um, you make me <laughs> jealous of Jin's ass. Uh, well, his taut glutes. 
I'll keep it brief. Because, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm super glad you had kind of this changing experience from it. I like this game a lot, but I don't really think it had that lasting of uh, an impact on me. But what do I know? I clearly have clinical depression. Um... <laughs> That's that's just from the, the year 2020. That has that effect? On yeah, no, no, no. It's just it's 2020 game that has that effect. Uh, like I just like to give people quick, like aspiring answers to that. My therapist never likes and is like, "When's the last time you felt truly happy?" And I'm like, 3:04 p.m. December 28th, 1997. <laughs> Was that when uh, Majora's Mask dropped? No. No. That's the last time, of time I think. he licked the cake batter off of one of those little spatulas when his mom was making a cake. You guys remember that? Like, complete aside, I miss, like, one thing I miss about childhood is, like, when my mother would, like, bake delicious things like cookies or cake, and I got to lick the batter off of the spatula. Man, I miss that. Yeah, yeah, but yay! Uh, <laughs> what a what a what a great thing to uh, think about, Josh. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a great game, but it didn't. I, I don't think it left any, or maybe it's just something I'm not aware of. But I, I didn't, I didn't come out of there in that mindset. I think it's awesome that you did. I I am envious of that. I you know, and I think for me personally, it's kind of where I am at right now. Like obviously, a lot of, you guys know this personally. None of the listeners really know. I'm not ready to talk about it yet, but I've been going through a lot of stuff in my personal life the past month and a half, two months, and coming out of that, I was like, I felt like I've kind of felt like I've had a whole new lease on life. And um, one of the things that immediately when that situation kind of resolved itself. I was like, I, I I really need to start working on my mental health. And I think that's kind of where I'm at right now is like, because I'm actively working on that, that this game just came at the right time for me in accordance with what I'm working on. So maybe that's why I took so much away from it um, versus you guys. Maybe you guys just have amazing, robust mental health and you guys don't need to work on anything because you guys are all strong individuals. I do not. It's, it's it's cool that you know, when those things happen, even though, yeah, and I will say, honestly, you know, you, for everything you've been going through, you know, fuck Darkest Dungeon. The true hell <laughs> was the combat in Ghost of Tsushima. Congratulations <laughs> the true hell is my drive to work every morning. <laughs> I promise, I promise you, Morgan, if you played 10 hours of Darkest Dungeon, you would completely <laughs> and utterly disagree with that statement that you just said. Uh, I just I'm I'm joking. I don't think it's that bad. Yeah. I just you know. That's fair. No, I get it. I get it. Um Josh, do you have anything you want to add to that or uh is it just your mantra one more time? Yeah, I guess. Um Yeah, I didn't I don't really think I took anything like that from it. Um Okay. trying to think if there's anything that like really stuck with me um jen's ass other, other, other nice than um and not that it was new but reinforced please let players play your game how they want um <laughs> it yeah it's yeah that's fair it, it more reinforced what not to do in a video game for you 
Yeah, or and for just people again, in general. Minor thing. It's not really to do with the story. It's just like it's so weird. Um, in an open world game like that, that it wasn't a con- anyway. This bad choice. Bes- bad besides, choice besides what devs. we were, you know, besides the story, I just like I feel like it kind of. I'm still thinking about that more than the story, which is not a great sign. So, um, no, it's okay. I understand. It was, a, it was a really bad thing to include. So I get it. Okay. So last question. You're welcome. In a quick one or two sentences, do you recommend this game? <laughs> Morgan. <laughs> You snuck that one or two sentence shit in there. How dare you? You can't fucking do you that. You used to all me. your sentences. Yeah, I, I did know. that with Man Eater. You've got I did that with three sentences to explain this now. That's not how we've done these. You've though. used all your sentences. I will go now. This is like my my intent is to always get you guys to like because I know you guys are tired at this point to just like you know like when you're reading a review and you have like they're summing everything up really quickly they just have like a few sentences to basically collate all their thoughts and opinions and then just say the end result that's kind of my thought process there is like like even as writing a paper like in college it's like your conclusion I I promise oh absolutely I promise to keep it succinct but I just don't think you've already broken that promise very okay I'll be well, that was brief. one of your sentences. I'll be very brief. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, I'll give you three sentences. Um, well, the story, I mean, look, no. I stuck with this game because I knew you were excited about it, and I had pretty much left it for dead, and that's an interesting part of the story for me. Okay, But I hadn't it. finished Act 1. Uh, that's it. There we go. Summation. Um, I think it's a very beautiful game, and there are some cool ideas there, but... Yeah, between just the sort of serviceable, serviceable combat and kind of bland mission design, it sounds like everything, all the cool stuff you're talking about, Shay, all that cool stuff sounds like it's buried in the side content. And I promise you, if you just do the main story, that's that story is fucked up. If you just do the, it's, it feels like pieces are missing, and it's just frustrating to hear. So um, to me, it's uh, closer to Bakakin, which as... Uh, Shay knows in Japan is fool's goal. I think it's very pretty on the ins- outside, but for me, it's very hollow, empty on the inside. Okay, that's fair. I can understand that. And I, you know what? One thing I will say is I, I wish that you would have had a, as pleasant of an experience as I had with it. I understand that you didn't have the highest respect for it but i'm glad you gave it another shot and you were able to see some more of the beauty of the game because i do think it is a good game and um i'm glad you gave it another shot so i appreciate you for doing that do you in a serious quick question for you shay do you believe it's a good game or do you think it's a good story that made you think in a pretty game because the actual game part the actual game part is the most important thing, and that seems to be the most... Would you say it's a, a good game or a great game? I'd say it's a great game, to be honest with you, because I... I Let me put it this way. For my summer vacation, and I'll, I'll sum, it, sum up my fe- thoughts and feelings now, and then I'll throw it to the other two guys. Um, during my summer vacation, 
because I had two weeks off due to the coronavirus. My summer vacation was shortened, being a teacher and all. Um, I spent three days straight. Not very proud of this. Not showering, eating enough <laughs> to sustain myself, and just sitting in my in front of my TV and playing this game day and day and day, because I was so enamored with playing this game. I absolutely love this game. Um, yes, the content or the con combat is a little bit weak um, in certain areas. Uh, yes, Josh was right. The fact that they try and force you to play a certain style is not not a great thing at all. Um, some of these side missions grew a little wearisome um, towards the end of the game, but I still think this is a great game. Uh, I I loved exploring the world. I loved looking for the fox shrines. I loved searching out all the haiku locations and the hot springs locations. I loved the uh, the shrine puzzles, those environmental puzzles. Absolutely loved those, which is similar to an Assassin's Creed game. Um, I still enjoyed the combat. It wasn't my favorite combat, but I still enjoyed it. I absolutely love this game. Uh, it's it's definitely one of my favorite games this year. And for me, I absolutely 100% recommend it for anybody who wants to um, play it. 100%. Hopefully that answers your question. And my own question that I asked. That's cool. I, I mean, I'm glad I had that effect on you. That's cool unexplainable sometimes how that happens yeah and just sometimes you gotta gotta be in the right mindset at the right time or vice versa so uh rich uh i will throw it to you uh do you recommend this game yes the most succinct I, <laughs> answer ever <laughs> i like this game a lot i wrote many words about it um yeah, no, I mean, I think he covered it pretty much. I, I think the narrative is great. I understand Morgan's criticism of it feeling empty in spots, but to me, like, that's... You were missing out on a big portion of the experience, and the main quest to side quest thing is a, a thing you kind of have to tackle with, with video games in a different manner. If, you, if you're not looking at everything, you were missing a lot here, but I think I enjoyed my, the gameplay more than enough, and I thought the narrative was fantastic. Cool. Thank you for backing me up on a lot of this. Not that like I felt attacked or anything like that, but I do think there's an amazing game here, and I'm glad that you were here to kind of bounce some of the love that I had off of each other. We were able to kind of talk about our adoration for this game. Not that you necessarily liked it as much as me, but I'm glad that you enjoyed it a lot. I just like I when did. we first started in on this game, I thought I was going to end up being the only person that liked it. So. <laughs> It's a good it's a good feeling when someone else at least has similar thoughts to you and you're not the only one. I know how that feels. Um after having I like I still am not over the hurt of Josh calling Saga Frontier cancer 4 years ago. Still not over that pain. I'll never forget it. Cuz my childhood was just tough for us kicked in the penis. Down these, we have to break down these games for like three hours, and it's 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 brutal if you're not all on board with it. It makes you sound way more negative than we really are, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. you could sum it up in like ten minutes on a if, podcast. If it but helps, then you kind of have to talk shit on it for three. It's hours. not that I hate all the saga games. Yeah, like I I liked Final Fantasy Legend whenever it came out here, which was just a rebranded <laughs> saga game. I guess that's true. Yeah. Well. Josh, I know you didn't finish the game, and 
I I still think I want to. I actually I don't think I know. I want to hear. You know, would you recommend it? And do you have any intention of going back to finish the game? I'm I am I am waiting to find a patch where it stops telling me to switch stances. Um, I I will be watching some patch notes. Um, as soon as that drops, I'll go back to it because like. Again, I think the combat is serviceable. It's just that whenever I'm playing it the way that makes it fun, um, the game stops me. And that is so frustrating um, that it's just like... Especially in an open-world game, so much of what you're doing is fucking around. Uh, You're wasting a lot of time getting to everything. And then the game pauses and says, hey, you're not fucking around, right? And that just bugs me to no end. Uh, It's kind of like a math teacher that like when we were in school and you would solve a math problem and you'd get the correct answer. But they're like, they still mark you wrong, even if you showed your work, because they're like, that's not the way I taught you. You need to do it the way I taught you how to do it. Oh, my goodness. It's kind of similar in that regard. Give me an example or use an example. That was clearly a ratio, and it was like, she wanted us, you know, obviously to use trig, because it was a trig class, but it was two congruent triangles, so I'm like, why, why, why would I do this? It's, it's obviously a ratio, yeah. and someone asked about the question in class. They asked about it. Because they got a different answer, the right answer, and she had marked them wrong. And anyway, yeah, I, I had to explain to the teacher exactly why she was wrong for uh, marking this other student wrong. And well, that was the end of my time in that class. I, I literally got kicked out of a class in high school. So, um, well, there you there you yeah. go, sucker punch sensei. But, yeah, now that, you that, know this, why Josh this thing is so angry is a and adamant about this. Yeah, a particular thing for me. Like, don't don't tell me how to do something if it seems like you don't even know how to do it yourself. So. <laughs> Damn! That shade! That kage! <laughs> if you guys don't know, kage means shadow or shade in Japanese. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That kage. But so you would at this time not recommend it until they patch like, that. I, I enjoyed so much about it. Uh, it is definitely something that I'd watch for. If you're the sort of person who is going to just do what they tell you there, it's not going to come up as much. It, it's fine. Um, I, and again, I think if you also, if you're the sort of person that's just going to play through this on easy. Stuff is going to die so fast, it might not even get a chance to tell you that you're doing it wrong. Um, <laughs> so, like, there's there's Why still a lot to like game, here. Josh, it's it's one of those things, like, I, I do, I recommend it as soon as they fix that issue, which I've seen a lot of other people complaining about this. So hopefully they get to it. It's this. It shouldn't be a hard thing to just turn off. Like, have the thing pop up as soon as you learn the stance, and then never again. Yeah. Or, yeah. like, it should be fixable. And I, I like so much else about it that I, I, I really recommend it. And if that, I, I can't, 
just go off of my experience. If that sounds like the sort of thing that will annoy you, it will annoy you. Uh, but for everyone else, I, I think there's an awful lot to love here. And there you have it. We are going to get out of here, guys. Um, we've broken down the story. If you feel like we missed something, uh, send us a message at either swordchomp at gmail.com or uh, DM us on either Twitter or Instagram, where Morgan and I run those thingies, social media. Um, again, if you want to check out more of what we have to offer, if you love this episode and you're like, man, I want to see what else these guys do, head over to swordchomp.com where we have multiple podcasts, such as the Chompcast, Evoking the Sublime, and In the Blood. Um, we have our Patreon there where if you want to get this episode early, uh, you can drop $5 a month and you have two weeks of early access to it including many other benefits with those tiers. And if you want to support us in any other way, we have a merch store, which you can also access on that website. And um, Rich also does reviews on the site along with Morgan. Rich does the writing. Morgan does the, the video version. So if you are interested, uh, Rich actually and Rich and Morgan both have um, a publication up on the site about this game if you want to hear what they personally had to say if you can't get enough of us talking about this game but that's going to do it um i want to thank each and one of these guys for being here because basically they had to sit and listen to me uh profess my love for this game but i want to thank ryutoro murata for being here i want to thank junto fujiwara for being here and i want to thank masashi besho for being here uh, i appreciate all three of those guys very very much i love them i love you guys uh thank you for letting me give you guys fictitious names today and every week and uh we will be back with another episode of chomping after dark we have not decided what we're going to do next but be looking out for that it's going to be beautiful be well out there and take care. <laughs>